Hey, it's me, Billy D of your giant M&J shoe stores, where you can find the best prices on men's and women's shoes and boots in Southern California. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I'm Clark Coffey, and always uh, with me is Mr. Cullen McFader. And for the first time ever, and I'm super excited about this, we have a third person on the podcast. We actually have a guest. Uh, I am super excited for this. Billy DeMota is a casting director, writer, director, producer. He was born and raised in San Francisco, California, where he began his career in the arts as a rock and roll guitar player. Don't we always, all of us have aspirations or dreams of that at some point, I feel like. He moved to L.A. in the mid-70s, only to find that disco would put a damper on his live music aspirations. After bouncing from one dead-end retail job to another, in 85, he began his career in casting, starting as an assistant on such films as Predator, The Running Man, and The Three Amigos, which I feel like almost like is a perfect encapsulation of my childhood cinema experience, by the way. Should we all do the Three Amigos salute right now? Well, you, you <laughs> if I could, Yeah, if we could remember it. Oh, my God, that brings back memories. There you go. In 88, he got a call from Dennis Hopper. I mean, don't I? God, I wish I got a call from Dennis Hopper. Asking that happens him, to me all the time. It happens to you. It happened to you all the time. Coming uh, to come on board as a casting associate on the gang epic Colors, which of course was directed by Hopper and starred Sean Penn and Robert Duvall. Then Billy went on to become an independent casting director with the film Miracle Mile, which I was just watching, starring Anthony Edwards and Mayor Winningham. Then he went on, this is a big shift, uh, to work on Steven Seagal's first film, Above the Law, with, of course, the wonderful Sharon Stone. And then he went on to cast the legendary cult classic and maybe one of the best-named films of all time, Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. Uh, and, and actually, and I had no idea of this, uh, that was one of Billy Bob Thornton's. Maybe that was his first starring role, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, then you, uh, I mean, you've cast, Billy's cast hundreds of films, TV shows, commercials, plays, music videos. Uh, he's gotten to cast a lot of directors at the start of their careers, like James Franco, Cameron Diaz, Brad Pitt. Uh, cast legends such as Faye Dunaway, Mickey Rooney, Glenn Ford, Martin Landau. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Uh, but in addition to casting, he's always also been a writer, director, and producer. He produced the award-winning indie crime drama Reflections in the Dark with Billy Zane and Mimi Rogers, uh, won several awards for his short film Posey in 2012, which he wrote and directed. That starred Ray Weiss and Oscar nominee Sally Kirkland. And to top it all off, Billy has been nominated four times for an RDS for Best Casting. Billy, thank you so much for being here. It is an honor. It is good to see your face and talk to you. I can't wait to dive into some of the stories you must have and uh, all the, that experience. <laughs> well, I appreciate the invitation, and I'm always happy to chat about my career i've got to recover from that bio it was so you know i've got to catch my breath (laughs) you have and that's that's just like a tip of the iceberg i mean you've been in you you now you're retired as i understand it right although are you still Uh, working you know i'm i'm kind of semi-retired my semi-retired yeah if you when you tell people you're retired the phone doesn't stop ringing so yeah um, well i'm uh a little a little history on that i'm i uh you know i lived in los angeles for since i actually moved there in 1975 74 75 to play rock and roll and um 
and uh, uh, it was I had moved away from my uh, from my family in San Francisco and and my uh, uh, my friends and my whole sort of support group and started a new life in in Los Angeles. Uh, and my family had moved back to Oregon where my mom mm. grew up. So we were now even further apart. So I would, you know, go up to visit in Oregon and, and, yeah. um, and spend the summers and Christmas and that kind of stuff. But when I decided to retire four years ago, or, or again, semi-retire, um, I couldn't afford to live in Los Angeles. So, uh, I wound up, you know, moving back to where, my uh, my mom grew up, and I live literally five minutes from her her the house she grew up in when she was a, a little girl wow. in the fifties, and uh, and my brothers and sisters all still live here, so it's a great you know a great yeah. place for me to kind of get away to. So that's where I'm at right now. Well, that I my um, I had never actually been to Oregon until uh, I married my wife. And her family is actually um, in Sisters, if you're familiar with that, it, where that is mm, outside I'm Bend. Not, yeah. Oh, and you're a thing, yeah. So not too far away from you. It's but not far. It's, it's just a couple a, hundred miles. I I, yeah. I live in the the about as south as you can get. Uh, there's Medford and Grants yeah. Pass, Josephine County, and Ashland. Uh, Shakespeare Festival. All yep, around. yep. I've got family in Ashland too. It's a, just a really beautiful, <laughs> wonderful place. Um, well. Let's. I kind of, you know, if you want to take us back, maybe to '75 when you first moved to LA. You know, I, I'm always curious about people's stories about how they get into the business, and it sounds like you had aspirations to be a musician. You show up in LA. Tell us a little bit about that and and how you found yourself in casting. Sure. Well, I uh, I, I moved here in, in 1974 uh, with my then fiance. Uh, she was, uh, I was playing rock and roll and she was aspiring to be a recording engineer. So she, she went to school in San Francisco and then she, uh, worked at a few small studios down here when we moved here. And, um, I got a job, uh, working with a studio band. I, I mean, excuse me. I started working in a studio as a studio musician and playing with a, a local band. And, um, uh, uh it, it was great for about a year. Uh, a year and a half and then you know kind of the live music career the live music you know scene in los angeles uh kind of dried up for musicians on my level you know there was yeah. lots of clubs small clubs uh that were playing you know that bands could you know make a living playing at and unfortunately when disco happened I, they decided it was cheaper just to hire djs so <clears throat> i wound up uh selling shoes and you know doing all the other things that you know people and they that are artists to do when they're trying to pay the rent right and i wound up um actually at beverly hills porsche audi and in 1984 i was selling cars i was the the sales manager there oh wow and, uh was uh you know making way too much money i was i think i was probably making in 1984 probably a hundred thousand dollars a year Jeez, was, so like, that that's YouTube. probably like three hundred thousand yeah, dollars it, was, it yeah. was pretty it was pretty big wow bad. yeah but, you know that was a, it was a high traffic store with movie stars and rock stars buying i bet Porsches. you know i used to sell all of hugh hefner's girls would come in and they'd say hey can i get that one and can you paint it pink for me and you know i'd, I'd wind up selling selling uh you know hundred thousand dollar cars to playboy bunnies who would you know wow who would drive around los angeles and uh <laughs> and you left that career 
Yeah, I did leave that career. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And you guys know, too, as artists, actors, uh, you know, people involved in the arts, that that's always your heart. That's always your desire. That's always yeah. the thing that, that drives you. It's your passion. And for yeah. my whole life, music has been my life. My mom, when I was five years old, taught me how to play ukulele. And, and you know, it was, you know, it was. It stuck. It, it never, it never left me, you know. So yeah. I, um, so when I, uh, so I was working at the dealership and hating my life. I was, you know, hanging out with, at the Playboy Mansion and, and having movie stars buy cars for me and making a lot of money and driving around a 911 and wearing fancy three-piece suits and. And I was miserable because I wasn't playing my music. I wasn't right. doing. I was. It was a seven day a week job, you know. And uh, and you weren't on your path. You were. <coughs> you were they, off the path. Yeah. I, I had strayed. Yeah. Um, and so a friend of mine was living with a casting director, and you know, he was my my best buddy. We used to hang out and go out to clubs and you know just you know, encourage you to hang out together. And I said, what, what is that? What does she do? What does a casting director do? Uh, he said, well, you know, they find the actors for the movies and, uh, and you know, they audition them. And, and it was kind of a, a foreign thing to me, but I was 30 years old and I wanted to change my life. And I said, I, I think I could do that. I want to try that. I, 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 I like people. I like movies. And he said, well, let's take, well, we'll, get together for lunch with her and, and uh, we'll chat about it. And we did, we all had lunch. And, um, and I said, can I try it? And she says, yeah, come work with me for free. And so, uh, <laughs> for free, <laughs> for free. Right. So I did, uh, I, I, I left my big old job. Wow. My, uh, wife at the time was, um, was this, I have a different wife at this time. <clears throat> and uh, she is uh, studying to be a, a, a deaf teacher, a teacher for deaf children. Yeah. And, um, and she's going to Cal State Northridge and they have the best program there. And uh, instead of going to, she went to night school and she worked days uh, to help support our fa family and my new, uh, you know, I guess, diversion from from you know now that the, was the that a challenge because you know to leave uh that had to have been a bit scary to leave it this was scary pure... well because yeah it was a it was a it was a it, it that was kind of a it would have been a career path for me had i stayed on it it would have been i would have been very successful excuse me I have to yeah call. <coughs> i would have been very successful and i'm sure i would have because i mean i'm uh, you know, not to brag, but I always aspire to be the best I can be, whatever I do. So, um, uh, but, but that's the reason I had to leave because I knew that if I, if I was in it any longer, I would, I would get immersed in it and not be able to get out. So, yeah. uh, so she supported me. She was, uh, you know, I'm thankful I had, and she's still one of my best friends today. Uh, she knew what my dreams and passions were and she knew I wanted to get back in the arts and, and, uh, and this was a way for me to sort of, uh, get out of the, the drudgery of, of, of nine to five retail seven days a week. Yeah. And now I'm uh, curious, back to my dream. I'm curious, Billy, uh, at this point in the story, you know, 
your your passion was music. Did did you have a passion for film or cinema at this point when you you first like dipped your toes into casting? Was that a, a big part of your childhood or not so much? Or well, you know, I mean, I I grew up just like I think everybody. You know, I'm not a youngster, and when I grew up, there you there was cost fifty cents to go to the movies, and I when we would go every weekend. Yeah, uh, my my brother and I would go to the to the uh, in in um, in San Francisco. We go to the Castro Theater, <clears throat> and the Castro Theater had you know, I mean, I, my first the, my first movie, the very first movie that I ever saw in a movie theater when I was nine years old was The Pit and the Pendulum. Ah, uh, uh, you know, Roger Corman mm-hmm. um, uh, directing Vincent Price and and you know Edgar Allan Poe and one of my favorite uh, you know scary movies of all time and it freaked me yeah. out i mean it literally freaked me out there was a i have to tell you just a, a quick aside there was a, a huge chandelier in the castro theater like an old you know the movie the theater is probably built in the you know early 20s yeah early, early part of the 19th uh, 1900s <clears throat> and the um uh and and when the when the, the the if you're familiar with the movie when the pendulum actually starts to swing across and is gonna is you know, and and the and the the, the victim is strapped down and is getting closer and closer to mm-hmm. to, to dissecting uh, <laughs> yeah the human. Uh, there is a, a I'm looking up and and I and I'm absolutely positive the chandelier is gonna fall on me. And uh, <laughs> I mean I was nine I years it. old. I think yeah I think yeah I, I love it. I, I think I actually walked out of the theater crying. Oh. Baby, uh, I think our babysitter took us. My my me and my little brother Oscar. Oh, um, wow. Anyway, that, uh, my 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 movie, uh, uh, you know, sort of, I love to go see the movies every week. And of course, okay. was, my dad used to take us to see all the Three Stooges movies. And oh, we were, yeah. But I was a huge, you know, I mean, those were the days when you went to the movies every week. Yeah. You, you bought a ticket and you sat in, the, in front of the big screen. So, uh, right. and, he, and when I got into the business, the, 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 the movie industry was huge, you know. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know... Uh, I, I started when um, uh, the the woman that I was working for, I'm not going to mention her name because we we don't get along anymore and I hate her guts. Oh, no. <laughs> um, well, we don't have no, to I, mention her name. That's okay. Yeah. No, she, she actually hates my guts. Oh. Uh, uh, she, uh, 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 she was working on, um, she worked for John Hughes. And so oh, wow. she had just finished doing 16 Candles in the Breakfast Club and... Um, Weird Science. When I started, I Classics. started with her. When I started with, uh, uh, I she was working on, uh, and basically, I, I started as an intern, and I was shuffling paper, yeah, and being, um, you know, being basically a gopher. Uh, and I'll, I'm sure that for all your 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 audience, you understand what a, a gopher is the guy who is the guy. You send a go for coffee. Most and, of us have um, been there ourselves yeah, yes. at one point or another. <clears throat> and uh, this is before Starbucks. And um, and uh, so basically I was, you know, I was the office slave, which I didn't mind. I was, uh, I couldn't have been more excited to be uh, making no money and doing lots of work. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it was. Exciting. But for real though, right? I mean, because. I, know, I mean, for absolutely yeah. for real. I mean, it, yeah, was an, because... it was a brand new adventure for me. 
and exciting, uh, I would imagine. I mean, even yeah. if you're pushing paper, you know, I've been there, you know, and a slight parallel to your story, not to make this about me, but I left a, a successful career in marketing and advertising. I wasn't on my path. And uh, it was kind of, I felt like it was sucking the soul from my body. And and then I, I left that to go be the lowest man on the totem pole, so to speak. And uh, I know what that's like, but you're just happy as can be, though. Yeah, absolutely. At least for a while. <laughs> and, so, uh, uh, so, so you're pushing and, paper, yeah. And uh, but uh, but I'm loving every single minute of it. And um, yeah, <clears throat> she was working with you know, I mean, at the time she was, you know, there, were, like Judd Nelson and Virginia Madsen and uh, and uh, Craig Sheffer and Ali Sheedy and all these people were walking through the office and you know, they were at the time, they were nobody. They were just kids, you know, wanting to be in movies. And, yeah. uh, and so I was sort of at the, there at the very beginning. And, and, and I think what really inspired me too, was that she worked with a lot of, you know, working with John Hughes, you worked with a lot of young talent. Yeah. And there is an energy that's palpable when you're in the middle of that. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if you're into astrology and I'm not really that much, I, I don't know that much about it. Um, but my, excuse me, I'm, <coughs> I hope you can edit this stuff. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I have, I'm, al I'm allergic to cats and I don't know if you, and I just saw one walk across the screen. So did I not? <laughs> that's, that, that's, <laughs> that seems that's, like a good fit. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, the, the fountain is on my table here. So I uh, gotcha. <laughs> the kitty drinks. So hang on a second. I'm surprised. I'm surprised my cats haven't, you know, made an appearance yet. Eventually, they probably will, well, this is, and this knock is something off my desk. This is Leroy. Leroy makes a lot of appearances. So hey, Leroy. So I had a I had an astrologer friend of mine. Yeah. Who said, Billy, you're 30 years old. Your Saturn is returning, hmm. and uh, and in astrology, I, that means that your uh, you're due for a, a, a shift in your life um, ah. and a seismic shift is one that, that is like, you know, you work for 30 years. That's the first phase of your, or you live for 30 years. That's the first phase. And then it's time to make a, a sharp left turn to go to do something else uh, and to follow your dreams. And so that's what I accidentally kind of uh, accidentally on purpose uh, fell into. And so yeah. um, I worked, <coughs> I worked with, excuse me, <clears throat> I worked with Jackie on. Um, oh, I just said her name. So you just said gonna, her name. Uh oh, we're going to cut that out. <laughs> so, so I worked with this. But, no, I'll tell you who. It's Jackie Birch. Jackie Birch uh, uh, cast huge, you know, huge movies and yeah. And uh, I worked for. But we had a dispute when I left. So and it's and this is so you're talking just to kind of let people know because I'm you know I'm here of course I've got your IMDb up. Uh, right. like a good podcast host would. And, you know, it, I'm looking at these early films that you've got credited here. It's, you know, Commando, Three Amigos, Project X, which, of course, at the time, I thought Matthew Broderick was, you know, just, I like, I idolized that kid. So Project oh, yeah. X was a film I loved. Predator, I mean, how could you not? Running Man, um, you know, it. it I, I, I these are like the pillar of my childhood cinema experience. Mm. And... Um, and I was actually reading Quentin Tarantino's uh, new book, Cinema Speculation, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm a fan of his, but he goes out of his way to say that he thinks the 80s is maybe the worst decade of cinema uh, oh. 
ever. I just, and I just, I have to just completely disagree. Yeah, there too. are so many wonderful movies from the 80s. And, you know, I, I, I just couldn't disagree more. But um, so this is so just to give people a little background. So this is what you're talking about, right? These early experiences, you're interning, right? Commando in these films. I mean, that hadn't yeah. been extraordinary because these are these are major studio feature films. You've got Arnold Schwarzenegger in the lead here. Um, did that, you see my just, my fo- my my Polaroid with Arnold? I did. Well, that was uh, you know I was looking at so. On Facebook, you have been posting uh, like a Polaroid a day, basically for a right. while now, and yeah, that I, I saw some of those Polaroids, and I just thought that's actually what sparked this. I was like, I got to get a hold of Billy. I'm looking at these Polaroids, and I'm seeing all these young faces, all these people who've gone on to have you know extraordinary careers, and I yeah. just thought you've got to have some amazing stories. Yeah, and it's been uh, so. It's just been amazing being there. Yeah, at the beginning of their careers uh, to watch people like, you know, like Arnold Commando was really his first, you know, I mean, he did he did uh, sort of the Red Sonia or not Red Sonia, but the he did you know, the, Conan was Conan, Conan before right. that. Yeah, he did <laughs> Conan, Conan. And, then the, and then the documentaries before that. But yeah, the, the, Puppy but, Iron. The, yeah, but this was his first kind of like acting, real acting movie. I mean, that's what he called it. Uh, yeah. you know, and he wanted it to be perfect. And Arnold, you know, was, uh, uh, and still is a perfectionist and, and yeah. he, he would come in and reloop every single line that he did to make sure that it was, that it was, you know, on the, on the money and that everything was wow. you know locked in and, and, uh, you know, he went to acting class and he did everything, you know, he, he, the way he worked in bodybuilding, he, he put the same sort of passion and effort into, uh, into his acting career. And, you know, like him or not, he is, uh, you know, he, he, he set an example for a lot of people. I bet. And, uh, and, and it was great being there at the beginning. I mean, you know, I, I was young, I was in my thirties and he would invite me to, to, you know, hang out with him at Patrick's Roadhouse in Santa Monica. <laughs> Patrick's Roadhouse is, is a, for, for those who don't know, is a, is a, a little restaurant on the Pacific coast highway in, in, uh, you know, in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. And, um, and every Saturday, it was Saturday morning, I think, uh, Arnold and his friends would all get together, all his bodybuilding friends. Sven, if you, if you guys, if you're familiar with Arnold, you know Sven, who was his right-hand man and the yeah. guy who was his, I think, kind of, he called him his bodyguard, but he was just his friend uh, who he worked out with. And Franco Colombo. Absolutely, went on, yeah. Who I, I went on to work with in a couple of movies that he produced uh, in Italy. Uh, but uh, we would go to Patrick's Roadhouse and everybody would smoke these these big cigars <laughs> right which he's and, famous for yeah right and uh and so i uh i wound up going for the you know the first couple of weeks and i i smoked cigarettes but at the time <clears throat> but being in a room you know where and the thing is is nobody else would come into the restaurant because they knew it was saturday arnold cigar day <laughs> and we you know and they'd all sit around and shoot the breeze and and smoke cigars and so i had to tell arnold you know i i'm not going to be able to hang out with you very much but but the point i'm making is it was it was when you could hang out with arnold schwarzenegger on the beach yeah. at the church house and, and that's amazing uh, i think you still can almost you know because arnold is 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 really that accessible he's so cool i mean that's so so you're so let's so go back to this so you're 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 interning you're learning the ropes 
tell me kind of what that experience was like and and maybe to even kind of step back you know because a lot of the people that are listening um they're they're film they're film fans they're cinephiles but they don't necessarily know kind of how the sausage is made or maybe even really understand exactly what casting directors do so maybe you could kind of go in a little bit on uh and obviously it can be different from film to film but for the most part kind of if you wouldn't mind describing what a casting director's job is how do they contribute to a film how do they work with producers director etc just to give people maybe a little background sure well um uh yeah it's got yeah it, it, it's, it's funny because we kind of do everything but i'll give you the general overview of what we're supposed to do <laughs> right <laughs> and uh and and um but you know, essentially, in casting, as an assistant and an intern in the beginning, I was uh, pretty much relegated to doing all the sort of office work, filing stuff and and making phone calls and setting up an appointment, setting up appointments, um, uh, you know, making sure I travel arrangements for actors. Uh, you know, when I first started, um, I was uh, we were. She was just finishing up um, a movie called, what was it called? I think it was called Fire with Fire uh, with Virginia Madsen and um, Craig Sheffer. Okay. And it was a it was a movie about two, a, a boy and a girl who were teens that were both delinquents and, and they got together and fell in love. And it was a fiery, uh, terrible romantic relationship uh and mm. so i was doing all the paperwork after the, the movie had wrapped and i was doing like you know setting up people for looping and for for uh, you know coming in and, and doing reshoots and stuff because uh, the movie was done if people don't know what looping is is when you actually come back in and you re-record your voice because it wasn't perfect when you right. did it the first time um uh and i would be setting up travel for them to come into town or out of town or whatever yeah, it was basically just, you know, office work, I, you know, yeah. DM, almost like the house of the DMV, but I was working with movie stars. <laughs> yeah. uh, but and then uh, and then I got a little bit more responsibility and I was able to actually hang out and, and sit in the sessions and and help with putting ideas and putting lists together. And I became an assistant and then I moved on to be an associate when I started working on uh, uh, bigger movies and uh, and your responsibilities change. But but essentially uh, what casting directors do and what they are are the job developers for the movie uh, uh, that you're working on, the project you're working okay. on. So you'll meet with the producer and director and whoever in the creative team is, you know, sort of in charge of of making the movie. Uh, sometimes the writer's involved. Uh, sometimes the, like, for instance, we were talking about colors. Sean Penn would be in all the meetings because he was like the executive producer and the star. Right. Uh, he was the one who hired Dennis Hopper. He was the one who came up with the idea for Robert Duvall to be his partner in the movie. Mm. Um, uh, so uh, you 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 basically sit with a producer and director. You figure out what uh, what your 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 goals are as as far as finding talent goes, and then you put out a breakdown. Um, you release uh, and a breakdown is basically a job listing for. The actors you want to like you know, a short the, description the, of the character right their requirements and, yeah and, mm -hmm. and the roles you want to for the roles you want to cast 
Yeah. Uh, and um, and then the agents and managers who are out there, those are the people that represent the talent. Uh, they submit their best ideas for each of the roles that you're looking for. And uh, and then in the you know, it's changed now because now because of the pandemic, there was uh, uh, the, the process has changed where it's become a lot less in person. And you can do more uh, virtual casting, uh, self tapes, online casting, which but has it, been the the trend. I feel like for quite a while. I mean, even when you know when I was in the game uh, and really actively pursuing acting uh, about you know fifteen to ten years ago, we already started to see some of that. And I right. imagine yeah, when I was a kid too, that was um, self tapes were primarily my limited experience in any professional capacity was all self tapes. Yeah, so, but it, but it wasn't always like that. I mean, the, yeah, the, and the in the casting. Do you industry, miss that? Do, oh, yeah. Do you feel I miss, like that's a good or I, yeah? No, yeah. It's it's a bad thing. It's a yeah. yeah the whole the whole. I mean, it's it's good in it in the fact that it's convenient uh, and it's uh, efficient. But sometimes in that convenience, in that efficiency, you lose the art, uh, and you lose the the human connection and. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, the art is. Let's let's talk about that for a little bit. As I, you know, I didn't know this about you, but I think I read that you have actually studied acting, correct? Like I have studied you stu acting. You've studied acting. Yeah. When did you decide to do that in, in your career um, in this timeline? Because I'm kind of curious about how uh, that affected the, the art of your process. Okay, good. Uh, that's a gr great question. Well, you know, in the... In the late 80s, I'd been casting for uh, a few years. Um, I had uh, I'd finished Above the Law. I'd finished Colors uh, on my own. I did a movie called Miracle Mile. Uh, and uh, and I was still trying to understand how actors think and, and, and how they process. Yeah. Uh, to, so I could be a better casting director. So uh, there was... Let me, I got to figure out exactly the timeline, but I guess it was around 88 or 89. I kept okay. seeing actors who I really, who I thought were amazing. And every time I would turn over their resume, there was a, a teacher named Howard Fine who was on their resume. Now I'd met Howard a few years before. He was working as a partner with uh, another acting teacher or uh, sort of, he was a sort of an associate teacher there. And he, he had just started his own studio in the late eighties. And so I called Howard and I said, you know, uh, I'd love to be able to come by and audit your class and just look at uh, look at the way you work if I can, because every single resume that I turn over of, of an actor I'm in love with has your name on it. He says, come on down. You can, you know, Monday nights we have auditing. You sit in the back, you're flying on the wall. So I went down and I, I went down to the actor, uh, Howard Fine Acting Studios on Robertson at the time. And I uh, sat in the back watching the talent and there were movie stars in the class and there were novices in the class. There were people that had just started and there were people that were, had been working for years. And, uh, and every single one of them was doing amazing work at the mm. top of their game. It was, it was mind blowing almost. And so after the class, I said, Howard, how do you, what do you do? I mean, what is your formula? How do you get, how do you get such great, performances out of these guys how do you, yeah. how do you how do you instill them with such brilliant you know insight into, into acting he said take my class <laughs> and, and, yeah and i 
And I said, no, no, no. You don't understand. I'm a casting director. I just want to know. I'm not an actor. I'm not an actor. I just want to know. He says, take my class. Take my basic technique class. It's now called the foundation class. But in in the 80s, it was called the basic technique. And it was a 12-week class. He says, come in and take the class. He says, I'll I'll, uh, I'll give you a scholarship. Take 12 weeks. And you'll, and by the time you get out of that class, you'll understand what goes on in an actor's head and you'll understand how they think and you'll understand how they process and you'll understand how they do the work and how they put together a character and how they, you know, immerse themselves in roles. You'll understand all of that because that's what basic technique is about. Mm-hmm. So I took the class and I was in the class and it was revelatory. It was, it was something that I never expected. It was it was a, an insight into a profession that I didn't want to pursue, but that I wanted to understand. Yeah. And so I was, I have another cat that's up here playing with the microphone. So. <laughs> She's trying to get. Yeah. Like I said, I'm surprised that mine, mine haven't. Usually when I, when they, anytime my cats, I don't know if this is the same for you, Billy, when they hear my voice, they just assume I'm talking to them. And so they yeah, just come to me, like no well, matter what I'm doing, you know. That same thing. Um, I, I talk to Siri, and so she, and whenever I talk to Siri, uh, uh, the cast thing I'm talking to them. Yeah, so. I, 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 so I, I just want to, but how was your experience like on a personal level? So it was like, in, you know, it's you're you're learning about what it's like and the the mind of an actor and what their process might be like. But how would like was it was it intimidating? Was it scary? Did you enjoy it? Just kind of on that level, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, yeah. Some- you know, it it's like it's like anything else you do at first. You know, you're on a tightrope. You're. It's like I, I, I. This is not my area of expertise. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I have no. And then once you start to get the tools, once you start to understand the process and the technique, it becomes so much more comfortable. It almost. And and if you're, if you're artistically inclined, you tend to lean into it, and you mm-hmm. tend to you tend to to absorb it. And that's what I did. Uh, and you know, after I did the twelve week uh, uh, foundation class. I said to Howard, I said, you know, you changed my life. You made my, you've, you've opened up my eyes and I see acting and actors and the profession and the process in a whole different way. And he says, he says, wait, you're not done. (laughs) Oh, I'm not. (laughs) I I beg your pardon. He says, no, he says, I'm giving you a scholarship for my master class. And so he enrolled me in his master classes, I think it was on Monday nights, you know, where I would study with, you know, people like John Corbett and, and Heather Locklear and Lou Ferrigno. Amazing. And, uh, you know, and, this, and, and, and these are all actors that, you know, that uh, John Corbett was at the beginning of his career, but, you know, Heather Locklear and, and Lou. Yeah, and, you know, and, already and, established. And other people, they were already established, but they were in class so they could improve their craft. And yeah. so I <laughs> basically, so I was in his master class for, about three years, probably until the oh, early wow. 90s. And then I got, you know, I started working in Europe. I started working with, uh, we're talking about uh, Franco Colombo. He was producing movies now. Yeah. And he asked me if I wanted to come to Italy and work on some movies. And I said, uh, yeah. And so uh, I wasn't able to, to commit to the, but, the So you really anymore. went for it. I, I mean, because I was going to think, well, you, you know, I thought you were going to kind of say, well, I was there for three months and I got a little taste and, you know, then I went back to casting. I mean, but to be in that class for three plus years, that's. Yeah. And, and, and but, but I never got out of casting. I mean, I, I yeah, you were casting the entire time. Absolutely. Right. I, you know, and, and 
you know, I've I have either you know either talked to or been in Q and As or whatever it might be. I, I I've lost track of how many casting directors I've kind of spoken to and got at least a little bit of a taste of of their background. And it's interesting that yours is is kind of almost the opposite of of what I hear so much in casting directors. In that, so many casting directors, in my experience, when I talk to them, started out actually pursuing acting. They that's, they that's right. they they were looking for a career as an actor and then through that process they they shifted into casting and yours right. one of the few stories where you were already in casting and you actually went out not that you were trying to find a career in acting but that you studied acting uh is almost kind of the reverse of what i hear a lot of well, the time I, I, and, yeah and ironically uh uh howard said to me when i finished the the, the, the 12-week class he says you need to stop casting and start acting he said <laughs> you could be he, he told me I, he, he was basically predicting that I, I would be a very successful actor if I, and, and, and it just, and I, you just and weren't probably, interested or, and I probably could have an, and, and, and if I pursued it, but I wasn't interested, that wasn't, I, that wasn't the reason I was in class. That wasn't the reason I was studying acting. So, but you're reason, right. Yeah, so, there, there are a lot of actors, there are a lot of casting directors in this business that, and I think, and I think, you know, my history on, on, on. Yep. The, the whole the whole workshops and the sort of arrogance of the casting industry over the years yeah uh, uh and and the sort of the, the criminal behavior of, of a lot of my profession but uh but i think that what what there's a lot of um casting directors who because they were actors in the past and because they kind of got shit on or stepped on or or un you know were, were unappreciated by the industry because actors generally are you know sit at the bottom of the totem pole and often get the worst you know they get the short shrift all the time yeah uh, that when they got a little bit of taste of casting when they got it to be a casting assistant they, they got a little taste of power and a lot and, yeah. and, and there was a thing that happened with a lot of casting a lot of actors when they got into casting just to they want they said they wanted to try it just to, so they could understand the process a little bit more but then they under they started to enjoy and appreciate the the attention they got from other actors yeah. and, the power, and the power they got from it so it it, it it and even so you know i think sometimes just subconsciously it doesn't even have to be a malicious thing not to go too far down this rabbit hole but no, you're right. sometimes it's just that you know uh if if you desired a career on a certain path and you're sitting in the room and and for whatever reason, because it look, it's a, a tremendously difficult industry and you can be exceptionally talented and not find yourself uh, with a career that's paying the bills. Correct. And you could be sitting in that room and just see somebody who's just just absolute dynamite. And there's might just be that we're all human, that little bitty part of you that's like, gosh, darn it, that should be me, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and so sometimes that even can exist. Um yeah, but, but also I think it's a little weasley to at a certain <laughs> point. No, no, and weasley just yeah. in the sense that if you if you if you have a passion for a career, you don't just shift because it's easier to to do to you know what I mean? If it's like I do. I'm gonna I'm gonna be an actor and I'm gonna struggle and I'm gonna try to make it. Uh, oh, but I you know I feel I get a little bit more power and 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 money and whatever out of casting. So even though it's not maybe their preferred first choice. Yeah, I think they take it. It's I think it's oh, he's a little bit of a sell out there. Yeah, a little, a little bit, bit of a, a right. and a little bit of a subjugation of your soul. So and maybe it's because I'm closer to it and I see more of it than that. I've seen more of it over yeah. the years. Yeah, close up. That could be. Uh, so when you 
when you come back or like as you're taking the class, because I, I want to talk about, too, you know, um, as you're progressing and your ability, when you, you're now you're in the room and you're in these sessions and you're seeing actors come in and I'm sure you're seeing, you know, the whole range of, of uh, auditions. Um, I kind of just curious more to like, how do casting directors, how do you specifically start to hone in on your, like hone your intuition um, where you, because it's such an art. And I think a lot of people don't realize if you're outside, if you've not ever worked on a film or been a part of the process, what an art it is to cast a film and how much that influences the quality of the film. And it's not just, you know, the top one or two people. I mean, it's, it's, Every single person right. who's in frame right. during that entire well, it's two hours. and because they're all an intrinsic part of the the final product. So, you know, it's yeah. not just finding one good actor, but it's finding an ensemble. It's finding dozens or maybe together. right. And so, I, it just you know, any like I'm just so curious about how you, that developed for you, like what your perception of developing that intuition was, or whatever you want to call it. I don't want to label right. No, it no, something. it is intuition. But yeah, but here's the thing. Uh, I think you have to have it. Uh, in the beginning, I just sort of like they say, you can, you can't make a bad actor, a good actor. You just mm-hmm. like, you can't make, you can't make a bad casting director, a good casting director. I think you have to have a certain level of talent and intuition going in uh, uh, and, uh, and this and hone it and develop it uh, as a skill. The more you do it, you know, yeah. when I first started casting, I used to, you know, second guess myself all the time. And I used to, you know, when I, I would bring actors in and I'd say, well, he was good. Wasn't he? Let me bring him back. And, and I, and, yeah. and I, and I would see him a second time. And, and, and then after a while I would just, you, you start to get this sort of sixth sense. I mean, from seeing so many actors and watching sort of the, the, you know, the, the gamut of, you know, terrible actors to actors that blow you away that mm. you don't really understand why they do, but, after you start seeing that on a regular basis, you start to understand what makes somebody bad and what makes somebody good. For instance, you can see that somebody who is not who is not nailing it when they come into an audition, there, yeah. there are a few different reasons. Sometimes they're just bad, <laughs> and some and, and they're and they will I've never been there. be good, and they'll never be good. And sometimes they're just nervous or sometimes yeah. they're just unprepared and it's you have to understand all the nuances and that develops after seeing lots of actors i mean i made a lot of mistakes in the beginning i think everybody does when they when they start out yeah um, do you, you find know, that um or did you find that after doing those those acting classes and studying acting um that you sort of like that really helped you hone in on the choices that these actors were making in the auditions and absolutely. that you were, you better understood this nervousness or this. A- absolutely. Know. Well, I mean, there are times when actors come in and I mean, and I've seen it because I've been in other casting sessions with other casting directors where they'll say, they'll see an actor and they'll say, thank you very much. And the actor will leave. And, and I'll be thinking in my head, well, wait, that actor just was, you know, a little nervous or he had just gotten out of the, out of, uh, you know, he just got out of traffic. Two and, hours of and traffic, it, yeah. And it's 110 <laughs> degrees outside, and he had to pee, and he didn't get he didn't get any water before he came into the audition, and he was nervous. So yeah. is he bad, or do you give him another chance? You, you know, when actors would come in to my office, uh, uh, even to this day, I can recognize when they're not in their body, or they're when mm-hmm. they're when they're not in when they're not present, when they're not in yeah. the room. 
And sometimes I'll just say to them, hey, listen, go outside, have a drink of water, take 10 minutes, chill, meditate, get into character and come back in. Because sometimes they'll, that's all they need. And they come back in and they blow me away. But I think what's happened is because of the abbreviation of the process so much, because of the, and it has a lot to do with self-tapes, because you can't connect with an actor personally. Right. Uh, for instance, if I'm doing a self-tape, I can't readjust that actor. If I see something that I think is there to find out whether or not that actor has the, the wherewithal to actually you know, accept a, de- a redirect or understand how to change a character a little bit to make it more what the director's looking for. I can't do that if the actor's not in the room. So, uh, but I would do that when the actor's in the room. For instance, an actor would come in and would be nervous or would be, you know, tired or would be, uh, you know, just a little unprepared. And I would send him out to re- kind of regroup. Yeah. Um, or which they is rare. Come, that's that's right. rare, well, especially for some smaller roles. And I, it's grateful for casting directors like you that are willing to do that because the reality is it's just not not that many in my experience are willing to kind of give a little bit of extra leeway. You know, yeah, kind of I, empathize I th- a little. I think the the process has suffered though because of the uh, because of self tapes and because of 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 the inability for a casting director to see. Uh, actors in the room you know what's happened is that producers uh, you know especially on low budget stuff have said hey well you can do that self-tape thing can't you you know where you can just see <laughs> actors on tape and then i can just look at all the tapes i don't need to, to spend the money to rent a studio for you do i and, because- and it and let's see how many followers they have on Instagram. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, don't that, even get that me started on that one. I actually yeah. <laughs> have a, a bit of a related question to that because, of course, you know, since the inception of of like budget filmmaking, right. um, it's been you know, a, a, for better or for worse, and to the perhaps the dismay of a lot of the artists that work in the industry, it's always been um, you know a business. It's been something that that um, is is designed at the end of the day to to make a return on investment. Um, and you know, a lot of people say that there's a lot of corporatization today that exists, which I don't disagree with, but there's always been that level to it. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I'm curious to know, um, how did you find, and how do you still find that balance between like maybe a studio saying, Hey, we really want, you know, this actor in this role. And maybe you disagree. Maybe it's, maybe it's like a financial decision that they're sort of pushing on the film versus something that you say, you know, you have a different idea. Was that a challenge to balance? Was there ever any moment where you sort of went, well, kind? You know? I mean, it, it it's a challenge to balance that. If I allow myself to be involved in that situation, what I do though in the beginning, as I uh, you know uh, of every project, is I meet with the producer and director and and make sure that we're all on the same page about what we're looking at creatively. If mm-hmm. they want somebody who is, if they want an actor with with you know who's the biggest actor on TikTok whether or not they can act or not, I'm not going to cast the movie. So mm-hmm. it, 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 so we'll let somebody else figure that out. Um, if we get into a situation where they say to me, like, for instance, I worked for Pure Flix. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it's the biggest Christian production company on the planet. Right. And yeah. uh, it used to be. It's it's kind of uh, fallen from grace. But uh, uh, in the beginning, they would they would say, you need to we need to find people with, with, you know, as many Facebook followers as we can, or as many, you know, Uh Twitter followers or as many, I'd say, no, you need to find the best actor for the role. If they happen to have 
you know, a big social media, you know, profile, that's a bonus. But if you start hiring people that are only, you know, in your movie because they have big numbers on, uh, in social media, you're going to have bad movies and people don't like to watch bad movies. (laughs) So you can't have a, a, an influencer as the star of your movie, just because he has, you know, a million TikTok followers. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, thankfully they would listen to me. And if they didn't listen to me, then I would not work on their movies. So you're, you're out I mean, of there. Yeah. I, the, but the, the, the great thing about, about, uh, uh, working with new filmmakers is they want talent they, they, And uh, I mean, sometimes uh, it's changing now. Sometimes they will be sort of there. They'll go on that. And, and don't get me wrong. Uh, every movie's made to make money, you know, from the beginning of time. I mean, we all make them for art because we want to make the best, you know, we want to make the best thing that we can. And we want it to reflect good on our, on our, on our sort of career in the, in the long run. We want to make sure that we make good art, but you know, we, we all know that the movies have to make money, but the, the bottom line is that if, if it's, if it's the difference between an actor who's got a lot of numbers and an actor who's got a lot of talent, I always go for the talent um because that in the end always sells the movie better than the numbers do uh there's never been i mean how many influencers do you know that have been nominated for an academy award i mean (laughs) i think zero so far that would be yeah negative you know i um and i think it really shows in these films i mean so and i think i even uh made shot you a little message just to, to use a specific example so colors I'm mm. watching that recently. And and of course you have Sean Penn and Robert Duvall, which are huge actors. And, you know, like you said, Sean put that project together. Robert Duvall, these actors are already attached to the project before right. I'm assuming you even get there. But and for my money, honestly, Trinidad Silva, who plays Frog in that film, yeah. I feel like steals every single scene he's so in. So great. And do you know what I and I I had a flashback. I totally for and this is horrible, I'm sure. But when I was a kid, I was watching this film. So this came out in '88. Uh, I was 12. I probably watched it on HBO. You know, a year or two after this, right? So right. here I'm, this little white kid in Missouri, and I used to have an impression of Frog that I would do for my friends. <laughs> I just... Too warm, man. Too warm. I love... And I'm saying Holmes all the time, you Holmes. know. <laughs> what up, Holmes? But yeah. he's fantastic in that film. So great. And 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 Damon Wayans is funny in that film. And, I and think one of Damon Wayans' first films. Because first he, films? He, I, I got him right out of the comedy store. Yeah. I mean, I saw him on the at the comedy store doing some crazy stuff. And he... Yeah. And he came in. and He did the same crazy stuff in the audition, you know. And he's 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 like, and he's he's wearing a diaper. <laughs> he's wearing a diaper in the film. I mean, but these are these are the things that and and Don Cheadle. This is an early film for him. It was too. one of his first movies. Yeah. And I just absolutely love to see that. In it, I mean, it's one of my absolute pleasures to see those kind of roles. Yeah. That it that you don't expect. And, um, and I, I just, it, 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 do you have any fun stories? Like, I'm just curious. Do you remember casting Frog? Do you remember? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, Frog was a friend of Sean Penn, so he came in okay. to audition, but, uh, but Sean was in the room for that one. And, and I, I always love it when he came by because he would, he would read with the actors and, and, uh, but, uh, you have to remember that that 
movie we cast real gang members. So yeah, well, so, and I was curious about that too. Yeah. Well, well, Dennis and I, he would we would take midnight runs sometimes, and we okay. would get in his 1978 Cadillac Seville. <laughs> I mean, this is where I blow in my. I mean, I just want to. I just want to. Let's slow down for a second. So you're with Dennis Hopper. Yes. And you're in a Cadillac. What'd you say? A '78. A '78 Cadillac Seville. '78 Cadillac Seville. And you're driving right. through the streets of Los Angeles. At, at two o'clock so in the morning. That already blows my mind. I know. It, it, That's already <laughs> so amazing. I mean, I'm just imagining it from the point of view of a gang member. Suddenly, Dennis Hopper shows up. <laughs> it's De- well. Wait, I'm going to tell you the story. It's, yeah. It's, you know, it's just Dennis Hopper. It's Dennis fucking Hopper. So I Dennis know. is Dennis <laughs> is like. He's the ultimate rebel. So he says to me one day, he says, hey, could, could, could we, uh, you know, we, I want to go out and meet the, the gang members. I said, Dennis, you can't just, you, you can't go meet gang members, you know, you can't go. He said, why not? So what we did, what I did, is I called, uh, we were dealing with Crash, and Crash was the, was the uh, gang intervention unit with the LAPD. And ah, okay. they were... And they knew all the heads of all the gangs, the White Fence and, and the Crips and the Bloods and uh, <coughs> all the way from like San Pedro to, you know, to Simi Valley. And um, they uh, so I called them and they set me up with uh, the 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 guy who I guess is sort of the liaison for the, the Bloods. OK. And. Uh, and they were gonna. They wanted to meet us at a place. And I'm, it was near Watts Towers. I can't remember exactly the name of the place. At some park, at two o'clock in the morning, mm. on a random night. And not so sketchy Dennis, at all. Not sketchy at all. So, so Dennis. <laughs> so Dennis and Dennis says, "Let's. I want to do it, man. Let's go." So okay. It was, white boy now you know i i grew up in you know in not the best neighborhood so i'm familiar with the streets but i'm not you know and i got a polaroid camera you know and that's what i got yeah. so, so we're we're driving in a 78 cadillac seville and we go to <clears throat> we go to uh to this meeting at two o'clock in the morning we pull into a parking lot and all i can remember is oh you know the parking lot with all the the, the lights uh mm-hmm. that are lighting the parking lot and complete quiet we just parked there we have a pre-arranged meeting and there's nobody there yeah and all of a sudden you hear boom 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 <laughs> what's that there's cars that are starting to pull in and they're all red cars a red chevelle that's kind of bouncing on its way yeah yeah and a, and a red porsche and a mercedes and a and a can a cadillac and and there's all these cars that are they're pulling into the lot there's literally 20 cars in there and all these guys start to get out of the car and you know, right around us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Dennis gets out of the car and he's like, you know, and, and you know, the, whoever was like the sort of the, the head of this particular entourage came up and greeted, uh, Dennis. Hey man, you're the, you're the easy rider, man. <laughs> so that's what I was going to ask. Did they recognize him? Did they know? Of who course he was? they recognize. Yeah. They recognize him. Hey man, hey the blue velvet man. What was that shit you put on your face, man? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it, 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 and you know, we we're high fiving, and 
and the nice. music was playing and they had their do rags out and they were dancing and there was and the music and they you know they would pop their trunks and they had like AKs and hand grenades <laughs> and in their you know yeah. I did and I had Just I, was, I and I was armed with my Polaroid and I was I was tasked with taking you know Polaroids so all these guys and getting their numbers wow and then they would say you know uh, 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 take a picture of my car, man. I want my car to be in the movie. So then I started <laughs> taking pictures of cars, and so, yeah. You know. <clears throat> and then we would we basically go through all the pictures, Dennis and I, and Lauren Lloyd, who was the other casting director on the movie, and um, we would uh, we would pick out the people that we were going to bring in, and you know, do auditions, and um, and I'll never forget there was like a. There was a guy named, what was his name? T. Rogers was his name. Mm. He's in the movie. Uh, T. Okay. Rogers was, uh, he was, uh, he was a blood. He was, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember whether he was red or blue. And actually, I okay. think he might have, I think he might have been a crip, but we needed somebody to play a blood and he played a blood in the movie and it was like. Dr. Feelgood uh, is his credited name, if that yeah. rings a bell. So T. T. Rogers, Rogers right. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, when he got to the set, uh, he looked at, he looked at all the, the, the production you know, designer had painted all the walls and stuff. And he said, man, what is that shit on the wall, man? <laughs> and the guy was saying, what's well, you know, graffiti. No, man, we don't do it like that. And he went, <laughs> and so the guy said, well, you help me out. They repainted the whole, they, they, grayed the wall out and they repainted wow. it all and he went and he did he grabbed his spray paint and he did the whole wall and he went on to become a consultant for movies i'll be done um wow. uh in the future for other stuff and then he started this thing called sidewalk you and i'll never forget where he would call me and he would um and he got out of the gangs and he he got uh he started a sort of an intervention program where he would Ooh. because you know gang the gang members could not uh leave voluntarily right. you can't just say hey man i want to be in the yeah. movies you know yeah <clears throat> so he would help channel them out and find them jobs in the entertainment business you know there were there were kids that would come up to me on the set literally you know 15 or 16 year old extras that we'd hired for the movie that would you know they, how much am i making for this movie you're making 180 dollars a day and you know in 1988 188 dollars for an extra sag extra yeah and um and oh, I don't have to sell no drugs or nothing. And I get 180. It's like they, they couldn't believe that they could actually Your make mind a is living. Blown. Right. And they said, and, but they would whisper to me, how do I do this, man? How can I do this? How can I do this for a living? How can I, I want to do this. You know, I want to get out is what they were saying. Yeah. Which was pretty yeah. amazing. You know, they're, yeah. uh, uh, so anyway, uh, what an there, experience. Uh, there was another guy named Peter Vasquez who was in that movie. Peter Vasquez was, uh, he played Flaco, I think, is the name of his character, and he he had the great scene where where, where uh, interaction with with Robert Duvall, and he was white fence. He was uh, he was OG. That guy was mm -hmm. like, I think he's probably in his early forties. He started a company called Suspect Entertainment with a with another gang member, who basically were now representing ex gang members for music videos mm -hmm. and for movies and stuff, and and they so they found their way Very out. Cool uh sort of channeled their, their way out of the, the the gang life but uh 
yeah I, anyway there's there, there's a million stories from that movie but it's that was one of my favorite i love to work these, on. i love these things yeah I, I mean it sounds like it was just a, such an extraordinary experience and I, at least for me i find these kind of stories just captivating and interesting mm-hmm. just that these like little windows into you know i mean look if you know i i absolutely love cinema um it's just i mean it's it's my passion and so i just find these little stories are kind of windows into a view that you don't ever get to you know get to see so it's just yeah. I, i'm fascinated i'm fascinated well, there's a lot i mean in every movie's like that every movie has every behind movie. the scenes stories that are that that if the public only knew you know it's uh yeah that's why i love putting up these polaroids on my facebook page because it allows it allows me to uh to sort of you know expound a little bit on 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 the history of the of the I, actors in the in the movie it hooked me and i and i i will say I, I i don't know if there'd be any legal issues with this but i just i feel like you should do a coffee table book i think it yeah. would be fantastic i'm thinking I, about I it know. i got i have to figure out how to do it. i just probably just have to get permission from the actors yeah I, if you've got a few minutes are you okay on time do you have a oh, also all by the you know courtney Gaines was in in colors too he played the he played the the the, the white kid the one the token white gang member right oh yeah 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 the ginger not the, ginger, I hope that right is the, right yeah, yeah and, and no he's great there yeah, I mean there's such there's such character and and flavor in these roles that's what I'm saying I yeah. mean all those things really stand out to me um, when I watch I mean and, you know another one that if you've got a couple of minutes that yeah. uh, Miracle Mile is oh, I, I think a, a fantastic film. And this is another film. Where that was my so first many. movie casting all by myself. Was uh, so. Tell us about that. I mean, was that was that a big jump for you? Were you anxious, excited, all the above? Like, how did that? It was, was a the big shift jump. There, it was a big yeah. jump. I just come off of Colors. Yeah. Uh, Lauren Lloyd was uh, my, uh, you know, I was the her associate on Colors. We were working together on the on that movie, and she couldn't do Miracle Mile. Steve Jarnett, the director, had asked her because I guess they were friends. And she said, well, why don't you have Billy do it? He's, you know, he's good. And so Steve and I became friends and I read the script and I fell in love with it and we started casting. And uh, uh, it was I mean, there's... a Hemdale movie. It was when Hemdale, it was a, a million dollar budget. Yeah, uh, tiny. <clears throat> tiny, tiny movie. Shot at night on in LA. It, I feel like it's a, it, it shows yep. LA. If LA is such a fantastic, I mean, if, if people, if you want to see LA in, in the eighties, this film shoots LA so beautifully. Yeah. Um, and it's all shot in, it's all shot in Miracle Mile. It's all right yeah. there in that, in that one, one block area. And that, they go downtown a little bit, but um, it's a, uh, it starts in Miracle Mile. And it, then I don't know if you know this, but from the time that he finds out, uh, that, uh, that there's, you know, that there's a, there's a, in, the nuclear, ending, a nuclear missile headed toward Los Angeles. It turns into real time. So yes, it, it, from there to the end of the movie, it's, it's, you know, it, whatever the real time in the, in the, in the film is. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting to watch it. Uh, and, uh, and it visually, it just, you know, it was, uh, Theo van Descende, who was the, 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 beautiful. Uh, the cinematographer who went on to do uh, tons of stuff, but he, that was one of his first films too. So again, um, another movie where a lot of people kind of jumped off the, off uh, to much bigger careers, the production designer and the, and, J- and J- I think Jamie Horner was, uh, was is Jamie Horner did the music. I'm trying to, 
remember. Uh, that's a good question. No, well, okay. uh, well, Tangerine Dream. It, Tangerine it, Dream, right? Did the right? Which, who, of course, everybody. I, Steve went to Austria to actually sit with Tangerine Dream and compose, help compose the. It's an film. amazing soundtrack, yeah, and I, really I think great. I've have you posted about Tangerine Dream? Too? But I've, I'm a huge fan of Tangerine Dream, and there. Oh are yeah, some scores. Scores. Yeah. Their scores in the '80s are just. I mean, yeah. some of my favorite yeah. films. Epic. I'm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, this film, it's, I mean, obviously you have Anthony Edwards, Mayor Winningham are fantastic, but there's some other people that really stand out to me, like, uh, Kelly Jo Minter. Oh, uh, yeah. when I was, when I was a kid, I loved her in summer school. Yeah. She just has like the best voice. I think she's just a great presence great. in this film. Yeah. I'd forgotten energy. that she's in this. Um, and, who uh, else? like Alan uh, Rosenberg, who actually went on to be SAG president for SAG a while. President. That's correct. He did. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, um, uh, uh, who, uh, Denise Crosby was in it. Um, uh, Olan Jones. Uh, Olan, uh, Brian Thompson uh, is somebody who stands out to me. Oh, he's Brian just, Thompson. Yeah, it was so Terminator. I mean, he's such I mean, a he's singular been, face. Yeah. 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 He, and, and we went Jeanette on to work Goldstein. With other Jeanette Goldstein, great, who went on to work with, um, with Cameron. Uh, James Cameron, right? I mean, she's fantastic. And and I missed this. I had to go back, and I actually didn't. I didn't notice this until I listened to the commentary. Uh, there's a new release on Blu-ray for this film, actually, which oh. is a really beautiful uh, restoration. Uh, if you I'm get a chance to check it out, yeah. Peter Berg. Oh yeah, Peter Berg got a sad card on I this film. I half heartlyed Peter Berg. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Berg, and he wasn't even supposed to get his sad card, but we, you know, he. This is very funny. He played the sax player in the band. You know, Harry yeah. Harry Washello was the trombone player. In, in a in a traveling band that was coming through town, and they met, uh, you know, Anthony Edwards meets Mary Whittingham at Johnny's Diner, uh, which is still there, and they still use. At the time, it was a real diner. Yeah, now it it's just a, it wasn't. Now it's just for filming. For filming, um, yeah. Uh, and he meets her there, and uh, and then he uh, he she goes to see him in the park, where uh, Pan Pacific Park when before before it burned down. Um, you know, because we, uh, Steve was amazing in, in, in finding these great old, you know, Los Angeles landmarks. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so there's a scene where he stands up and, um, where, 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 where they're playing in the band and Peter Berg stands up with the saxophone to take a solo and Harry kind of like, you know, he's trying to impress his girl and he stands up with his trombone instead. And Peter sits back down. That was yeah. his big. Can, can he, and technically, you're supposed to say something before you can get tapped hardly. But right, we, was... we we tapped hardly him anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, and then first... and, and then the rest is history. Uh, obviously, went on to do a lot, but uh, that's just and wonderful. Also, what's I mean... his, well, who's the, um, uh, I'm just blanking on the on his name. The uh, uh, who went on to have a great career. Uh, 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 you know, Forrest Gump. Oh yeah, um, um, that's uh, Michael T. Williamson. Yeah, Michael T. Williamson. Yeah, and uh, who yeah, used yeah. to be he, before he was Michael T. He was Michael T. Yes, and it's, I mean, and it's at, funny at that, he was actually Michael T. The, his credit, original credit, in the movie was Michael T. Williamson, and then it he, is. Oh, that's and, not, and, hold on a second. And in the commentary track, the director. This is interesting. The director actually apologizes for the misspelling in the credits, but it was actually how he presented. That's how he like, spelled it then. That's yeah. how it he spelled it back right. then. Right. It yeah. wasn't. What, there was no Michael M Y. It wasn't all one word. It was. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just thought that yeah. was an interesting piece of trivia. I mean, yeah. just you know, as we kind of wrap up. Well, wait. I ha okay. So I have to ask, and I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, Billy, but I just no have worries. to ask. 
above the law. You, yeah. Do you have any ridiculous stories working with Steven Seagal? <laughs> now, well, I don't know if he was ridiculous back then, but he kind well, of became it, a little it, bit he, ridiculous. He, he became ridiculous. No, he <laughs> he was still he was still kind of a dick, but he yeah. was but he was he was a younger, nicer dick. Um, <laughs> his uh, you know, you have to you have to remember that Steven's whole life is based on a lie. I mean, you know, yeah. everything, everything that he says or has done in his life, he made up or he exaggerated or he extrapolated from and, and totally turned it's it a into fi- something else. I, I have seen videos of his supposed, I, I don't want to use the wrong, but martial arts technique, for example, right. which well, not, apparently yeah, I mean, a lot of that's fabricated. Well, well, <laughs> I spoke to a few people who said, you know, he was married to a Japanese woman and he, right. lived, in, he lived in Japan. Her father was the head of the, the dojo. Mm. Um, he's probably going to hear this and try to kick my ass. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll tell you a couple of good stories about Stephen, though. But so, uh, we so, uh, love to hear uh, it. so he, uh, he, he was, he was, he moved here, uh, having, having, uh, saying that he became the, you know, uh, he was the whatever the highest degree of thing you can get in, in, in in right. taekwondo or whatever or not taekwondo or in in uh, like aikido sensei kind of thing I, like aikido. like 10th degree black right. belt yeah or something. but what yeah. happened is that because he was married to a japanese woman whose father ran the dojo he kind of let it slide they it, it has been said that the the uh, the the father was sleeping when he took his test so uh, <laughs> so, so you can you know and also people that have watched him do his his stuff yeah. say that it's you know it's theatrical Aikido yeah. it's not real but uh, you know the story is that he was he had a dojo uh on the corner of Santa Monica Boulevard and La Cienega uh and now is this that, back then is this it back, was back the then age? yes this is back okay, then. Yeah. this was in 1980 what would happen is in, in 1987 88 there was going to be a writer's strike uh there mm. it was pending in the early part of the year and uh, uh Mike Ovitz decided he wanted to make a movie out of a script that he had heard from, we'll go back. The, Stephen had the the dojo. Mike right. Ovitz, the head of CAA, was one of his students in the class. Was taking ah, Aikido. There's the connection because I've always wondered. Well, we could not to cut, but how in the world somebody like Steven Seagal even gets this big of a shot? But well, let's it, it's like well, what happened is he would pitch the story. To Mike Ovitz, telling him yeah. about how he was in the CIA and that when he was in Vietnam, he was involved in the Vang Pao heroin cartel, you know, to help stop the <laughs> and that uh, basically what he did is he took the idea from the Christic Institute. The Christic Institute talks about the real story of how uh, heroin uh, being channeled into the inner cities in the 80s was a huge problem. And he took that and he extrapolated on it. Yeah, uh, basically turned it into his own story, right? Uh, uh, talking about how, and you're going to have to figure out how to edit this, to, so I don't get sued. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, uh, but he, but he, uh, uh, basically would tell people the story that he was in the CIA. He, this is mm-hmm. what he told Mike Ovitz: I was in the CIA. I, I helped stop the, the the heroin trade in in South Vietnam. I mean, he, I don't even know if he's old enough to to be that. I mean, he's he just turned seven, right? So. Um, uh, and, uh, and so, uh, Mike Ovitz said, Hey, let's make a movie. 
So I get wow. a call. I get a call from Robert Solo, who was the guy who was one of the producers on Colors. Uh, and he said, uh, I'm working on this movie and, uh, and you want to cast it. Uh, it's with this new guy. And the first thing he said to me is, He's kind of a dick, but you know, I guess it's a good story. <laughs> right off the now, and this was so oh, I'm, I'm not I'm not a Steven Seagal scholar, so you'll have to forgive right. me. No, but this is his first. This is his first film, right? Is it's this his, first his first film, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Now and so and and this is what I hear. This is just the, the stories that I hear that he is yeah. living with Kelly LeBrock, uh, and and uh, I think he, he actually got married to her when he was still married to the Japanese woman. Oh my. Um, and, uh, and, you know, uh, the, 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 the general, you know, knowledge of Steven in the, in, in the eighties that he was kind of a freeloader and, mm. uh, he, he had a Rolls Royce. He bought a Rolls Royce, uh, one of the, you know, like a 1965 or 60, you know, right. one of the old, old ones because he could drive a Rolls Royce around in Beverly Hills and pretend like he was whatever. Right. Uh, and I think somebody said he was sleeping in it when he met Kelly LeBrock. Wow. And uh, and so they uh, uh, so he he convinced uh, Mike Ovitz to make the movie and they put it into production. Amazing. And and thankfully we found a great cast to support him. Henry Silva, who's still one of my favorite actors of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And Danny Feraldo. Um, uh, uh, Pam Greer. Uh, Pam, Pam Greer. Pam yeah, Greer. Yeah, John C. Riley. Amazing. John C. Riley. Oh God, John I mean, C. Riley's great. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. some great there was some really love... really great uh talent in the movie. Now I'm curious, you know, because you, you kind of talked about colors, you know, Sean Penn uh was in these sessions, had a lot of influence, I would say, or had a lot of say, worked closely with you on mm -hmm. the cast. In this film, Above the Law, did Steven Seagal, was he, you know... Did every he have single any... session. He was every... in every single cast. Oh, my session goodness. Because he wanted to wow. be there when the girls were reading. Oh, I was... Uh, you know, so I mean, it was on so, my mind. So, so you, really it, had to, <laughs> you really had to earn your money on that one. I mean, you basically have him looking over your shoulder. Um, I'm, I'm imagining, I don't... He was know, still that... like an excited kid, though, and he he gave me a lot of deference. He said, Billy, can I sit in on this one? Can I do... But, you oh, know... Okay. Okay, he was, he so was the not, star. He was the yeah. star of the movie, and he knew he could if he wanted to. But he, he, but he was actually pretty decent about it. Yeah, he was. Okay, right on. I, what were some of your? We, I know we've kind of talked a lot about your your earlier films, but and you you had kind of hinted that your work in uh, Pure Flicks and the, mm -hmm. the faith based films, and you were a part of probably like the largest, right, or one of the largest uh, box office faith uh, faith based films. The God is not dead. Right. Not and, dead, yeah. and did you I, I'm just kind of curious. Um, I'm not as familiar with that genre of film as I am some of these others. But uh, what was that transition like? Did you was there as far as casting goes, was there any significant difference to kind of how I mean, you talked a little bit about how they wanted to kind of steer you toward, you know, people that had social media audience. But, you know, right. they also wanted to steer me toward, you know, people who were big in the Christian community, which makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I did that uh, again, though, trying to steer them in the direction of the best actor, not just yeah. the person who was the most Christian, you mm -hmm. know, or had the most Christian followers. There, there were so, some people that we had to cast uh, that I wasn't crazy about, but you know, I worked on thirty-five okay. movies for him, so thirty-five wow. movies and two, and two uh, TV series. Oh and, my goodness! Uh, uh, yeah, and the biggest ones were the were the kind of the funnest. So the Case for Christ was fun with. Uh, 
um, uh, with Alicia Silva, uh, not, uh, um, what's her name? I'm blank. <laughs> it's okay. I should, we I can should add it in post. I, I have to pull up, I'm going to pull up my IMD here. Yeah. Pull it up. Pull it up. So I can even, so I remember. I mean, it's Erica I mean, Christensen. Yeah. Faye Dunaway. No, yeah. Faye Dunaway. Oh, Faye Dunaway was, was fun to work with. Oh my she, gosh. I, you know, I'd forget, and you've worked with so many people and you've worked on so many films. There's obviously no way we can touch on all of this, but I, I'm just curious. Do you have any stories to share about Faye Dunaway? We actually just in one of our last episodes, we uh, talked at length about the film Barfly, which mm-hmm. of course yeah. Faye Dunaway's in and she's fantastic in. Yeah. She was, um, she was good in the, she, she had one scene, basically one day we got her for sort of a cameo. Yeah, and, and paid her a lot of money, uh, mm. and and she was terrific. She was, uh, 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 she she had some problems standing up because she had I think she had just had surgery, so I had to do most of it mm. sitting down, or we had to have her because uh, there was uh, some questions with her her movement and her in the scene where she had to do some move in the scene, but yeah, uh, but she was uh, but she, she was terrific, and I mean she was just yeah she's old movie star so. Yeah, you get some of the baggage that comes from that, and you get you know the excitement that kind of is sort of overwhelms that. But uh, I would yeah, imagine that, so. Yeah, somebody, but, and that's. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Billy. You were, but I, I'm. I, but that was one of the movies where, because uh, I think, a lot of people were sort of a lot of main uh, ma- mainstream movie stars were sort of steering away from faith-based movies because they didn't want to be labeled as a Christian actor. This right. movie, this movie ha- came from Lee Strobel's, uh, uh, novel and, um, or not novels, his book actually was a novel. And, uh, it's a, it's a, you know, a, a pretty, uh, it was, it, it made it a little bit easier for them to get involved. So we got, I mean, Erica Christensen and, uh, and Mike Vogel and Faye Dunaway and Frankie Faison, who was amazing in the movie. Robert Forster yeah. in one of his last. Uh, oh, I, 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 that's another actor that I feel like was really extraordinary. And I was, you know, it's, um, and it's so interesting how people are cast. I was, you know, so again, I was reading the Quentin's book and he talks about how he came to cast or even had the idea to cast Forster in, um, yeah. Jackie Brown. And mm-hmm. he actually, speaking of Corman, we've talked about a Corman flick right, you know, at the very top of the podcast. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever seen this film, but uh, Forrester is the lead in Corman's Alligator, <laughs> which is kind I of like a, movie, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah. a Jaws knockoff, right? Of right. about that era, uh, right. just replaced a shark with an alligator. Corman and was good at that. Mm-hmm. Corman was the best <laughs> at that. And uh, but but that performance had just always stuck in Quentin's mind that uh, yeah. even though the film was obviously pretty schlocky, that his performance was outstanding. And yeah. that was actually kind of the hook that stayed in his brain. Fast forward all the way to the mid 90s or late 90s. And uh, he has a bit of a career resurgence with his casting in yeah. Jackie Brown. Yeah, and he, I, and he was so wonderful in that. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's Robert Forster, who's been on you know the scene for you know, 50 years, he was, he was, uh, you know, a working actor all the time yeah. was never, you know, he used to hang out at, uh, at the silver spoon in West Hollywood, you know, along with, uh, you know, with all the other sort of movie stars that were not working anymore and, yeah. uh, or not working as much as they used to, you know, and, uh, and, it, and it gave him a real, a real, you know, really pumped up his career, especially with the, you know, 
Academy Award nomination and everything. That's got to um, be fun to see that. I um, and I got a chance any... to work with him uh, in a movie called uh, Touching Home with Ed Harris. That was one of my yeah. favorite movies to cast. Mm, with we him. spoke with... about that. Me and Clark spoke about that. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah that uh, was a fun movie. What about that film? Was kind of made that one of your favorites? Was there anything specific? You know what I loved is the uh, uh, is the two brothers. Um, the uh, I'm going to go back to my IMDb because I'm blanking on their names now. But uh, I mean, it, 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 it was the it was the whole process because you have to remember that these were two guys that wrote a script mm-hmm. uh, and it won the Panavision Best New Screenplay Award and they got a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, 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 prize money, and they wound up, you know, making a, a an amazing base because they were both baseball guys, you know, right. uh, making a, an amazing baseball kind of a promo. Uh, let me go down here. I'm gonna look at it for a second. I'm just trying to find the. Uh, I'm going down my IMDb. I have a, <laughs> You've I, got so many films. That's a lot of stuff here, man. Okay, it's it's understandable that you might forget a few details along yeah. the way. Uh, so almost it, there, almost there. Touching home, here it is. Touching home. Uh, the uh, Miller brothers, yes, Logan Miller brothers, and uh, yeah. who, were twin, who were twins, and they uh, um, uh, they you know the the, the Miller brothers to, in order to fund their movies were they did modeling for like Calvin Klein. There was a there was a. I think there's a very famous picture that huh. one of them put up of, the, of, the, of his poster on Sunset Boulevard in his underwear, you know. Oh, I'll be darned. Calvin Klein. So they, they, uh, they uh, you know, they had aspirations to be baseball players growing up. And their their alcoholic father kind of ruined that for them. But they never lost their love for their father. So when he passed away, they did the story of, of uh, their, you know, their aspirations to be yeah. Major League Baseball. And, you know, Ed Harris is their is their dysfunctional father who is uh, so good he's so and in the movie he's just amazing but that was one of the that was one of my favorite movies just to because like i love to hanging out i love hanging out with them and their energy and their um their passion you know to make movies i, I don't know if they've, they've really done anything since then i think they went on to do a couple they did um white boy rick which i heard a lot about in 2018 Oh, I didn't. Um, well, or I Logan, one of them did. No, they. I think they both were involved in that. Mm. Um, I'll yeah, have to I check that. Love, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can um, rent it because it's a, it's a terrific movie and it's shot beautifully. It's just, it looks great. It's it and it's a fun story. Brad Dorif is great in the movie. Oh, uh, I love uh, yeah. we were yeah. Brad Dorif's one of my favorite actors. I, I love Brad. Yeah. Dorf. And you know Lee Merriweather, you know the bat bat girl, that woman. Uh, she was terrific in it too. So yeah, you know, one of the things that's just, at least for me, most entertaining, or to hear about some of these stories of how you, how you found some of these actors um, mm. that um, that ended up being, you know, your experiences with some, or maybe some of your early experiences with some of these actors who were at the very beginning of their career. Yeah. And I'm kind of, you know, curious what what was kind of there. What if you could kind of maybe to find the spark that was there maybe that you saw for some of these people because you see dozens or hundreds of people and just and i know it might be hard to kind of articulate but maybe we can try just what's that spark that you feel like when somebody walks in the room and you're you like know, the, i it, think it, this person's going to be a star it's you know it, 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 uh, i don't know if it, i can't say the any bad words but it's 
it's just, there's a there's a sort of charisma yeah that an actor has and it's sort of like it's hard to explain but you you, you walk into a restaurant and you see a beautiful woman or a beautiful man across the the restaurant and there's something that lights up the room you go to a yeah. party there's somebody there's some, some kind of uh, charisma and that's and there's a confidence uh, i think uh, if you if you meet somebody who is confident about what they do, even if they're not always, they're not the best yet, there's yeah. something very special about about their energy, and um, and I think as a casting director, what happens is you become more aware of that. You just become more of of, of a, of a receptor, right? Yeah. Into it. So uh, uh, you know, people like Cameron Diaz, who came, Cameron Diaz was a model. Mm-hmm. She'd never really done any acting at all, and uh, Alex Proyas. Uh, who was the director? I finished. I just finished working with Alex on a on a, on a, 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 a long a bunch of commercials, and he was just starting uh, uh, this new Australia um, uh, Australian Coca Cola campaign, and he was looking for a girl for the campaign. And uh, right, and so Alex Proyas, by the way, uh, I went on to work with him on uh, uh, iRobot and um, oh, yeah. The Crow. Uh, he's an gr- amazing director. Uh, he's the one who directed The Crow, uh, and um, and Cameron came in. Uh, there were there were probably two hundred women that came in. And the scene is a woman running along the beach in Australia toward a okay. lighthouse toward a lighthouse that is projecting a big Coca Cola banner for a Coke commercial, right? Coke commercial, yep. right? And uh, and so we were looking at all these girls in their bikinis, right? And the girls and, and Steven Seagal pops in and says, "Hey, can I join it?" <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I, <laughs> but there were other people that did want to drop. You know, whenever, whenever we did bikini sessions, there was always yeah. people outside you, the room saying, a... "Hey, can I borrow a pencil?" Uh, <laughs> right. No, yeah, but uh, but so, so but these were pretty routine. You, what happens is a girl would come in, she'd do a couple lines, you, she'd drop her caftan and do a little spin in her bikini and she'd be gone. Yeah. Well, Cameron Diaz came in and she had like cargo shorts and a tank top on, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and she, and she was, she, she came in. I think the first thing she did was she told a joke and, uh, and she, this is a girl who had just, who, just been on 17 magazine and was like a big, you know, print model. And she was gorgeous and she was cute. And I think at the time she was like 19 or 20 years old. And, uh, and so, uh, Alex or somebody in the room said, uh, do you, or maybe it was me, do you, do you wear a bikini? And she looked and she goes, you don't need to see me in a bikini. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she, just like you, she had the room cracking up. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and she told another joke and she said the line. And she says, okay, goodbye. And she walked out and then we all looked at each other and said, okay, that's the one. Yeah. She's the one we're going to cast. And, it's uh, amazing. It, God, you know, I, I, um, I look back at, you know, my early auditions and I just like, I'm like, God, I wish that I would have, you know, and it's, you can't manufacture that is the thing. Like you exactly. can't even know, I mean, you, can't. you can't manufacture it. And it's like, okay, I know that, you know, they're looking for X, Y, Z and, you know, desperation is going to be the death of an you know, audition. I mean, you can know all these things conceptually, but you've just got to own it in your body. You right. can't fake it. You can't manufacture it. And, 
you know, and I'm sure you were honed in on when somebody was like acting confident as opposed yeah, to actually right. being, they're being present. Confident. Right, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just when you, when they walk in the room and they don't give a shit, they're just like, you know, here I am. And there's a certain, you know, confidence. It's, yeah. You... It is. It's, it really is wonderful to see. And I, uh, you know, have been in casting sessions myself for different, you know, in different, uh, capacities, either interning at a casting office or on my own projects. And you do, you really, you really start to, to get a feel for it. And, um, uh, and it's really amazing when you've, you know, that when you've sat in a session and you've just seen person after person and you're just like, I'm never going to be able, like, there's just not, you know, and then, and then, you know, that one person walks in and you're just like, right. Oh my gosh. Well, I have to, I, I'll tell you another funny story. So I'm, I'm working on a movie called brothers in arms. Uh-huh. Probably 1988 or 87, 88. Okay. Uh, and it's a movie about these sort of Amish type men who live in the mountains, uh, who wear the long black coats and ride around in, you know, horse and buggies. Right. And, um, and, uh, and there's a, uh, there's a production manager on the movie who says, Hey, you know, I have a, I have a new roommate and he just came out from St. Louis and he's trying to meet casting directors and, and get into, you know, acting more. And I want to know if he could come in and read for one of the roles. So I said, sure. Have him come in to read for, you know, whoever, Jedediah, the young, young son. And so, uh, this kid comes in, he's got a long black coat and a big hat. He dresses up for the audition. It's Brad Pitt. And, uh, ah! and he, uh, probably one of his first auditions in Los Angeles. I think he worked in some commercials and maybe done some small TV stuff. Right. He wanted to, he wanted to do movies. So he came in and he was really cute. He's probably in his early twenties and he's reading for this thing in his long black coat and his, <laughs> and, uh, and he was terrible. And, yeah. uh, and I, and I, but I saw something and I said, you know, you're not right for this, but I'll keep I'll bring you in for something else in the future. Yeah. You know, and he was like a puppy dog and he was like, he would call me every once in a while and he would talk, you know, what should I do? Should I be in classes? Should I get new pictures? Whatever. You know, we yeah. were kind of like buddies like that. You, you actors that call the casting directors and t chat with them. But when I, he, he left the, the, the audition, I, I, I pinned his picture on the wall behind me in my office. And when I have, you know, it's the, I call it the wall of shame where you have just, you know, pictures of actors that you like, that you keep up there just to keep in your memory. And I had yeah. a bunch of actors. I had Helen Hunt's picture up there. I had, uh, I, I'll tell you the Helen Hunt story too in a minute. That's a good one. Um, so, so, uh, uh, time goes on. Brad doesn't get that movie. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, and I get a call from, uh, what was the name of the, it was a movie called, oh dear, I'm going to have to look at my IMDb. <laughs> it's it. okay. It's, it's, it was a really bad movie. Uh, Carlo Rambaldi. Who You've was, just forgotten it. Yeah. Carlo it's Rambaldi like... is the guy who, who was the, who was special effects, uh, Italian special effects guy who created the creature ET. He created, ah. he actually mm -hmm. created the ET. Um, his son, I'm going to find his name right here. Hold on. If I can go down here. 
you know, while you're looking, you know, just a totally random, weird piece of trivia. So, you know, there were there were a handful of ways that they did the E.T. puppet. You know, there was like a puppet and then there was there were some there was one version where I guess you needed to be able to see where they had an actual person in the suit. And this person and this person didn't have uh, the majority of their legs. And I'm not quite sure exactly what had happened if this, you know, why that came to be for this individual. But right. I actually ended up working with him wow. at a at a software company out in Redlands, which is, you know, whatever oh, that is. Redland, yeah. yeah, it's like 50, 60 miles east-ish of L.A. or, or Maybe it's only 30 or so, but it feels like 60 because it's, you know, like right. a two-hour drive on the 10. But I actually worked with him. And uh, super nice guy, fantastic. But that was, you know, uh, his one little uh, foray into Hollywood. But I was like, yeah. I tell people I worked with ET. It's kind of, but uh, <laughs> well, anyway. Baldi also did uh, Alien, which we did um, last episode. So there's a little connection. Yeah, there's a, yeah, a lot of people that are amputees and that are, yeah. uh, or you know, they they get they get a lot of work in those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, movie was called Primal Rage. Okay. I was working on. Working on a movie for uh, Carlo Rambaldi was the guy who did the special effects uh, creatures, and Vittorio Rambaldi, his son, was directing the film. Write it, he wrote and directed it. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, so I'm casting the movie, and uh, there's a the producer very, from Rome, very flamboyant, like Fellini kind of guy with the big glasses. He said, "Bigly." Uh, my name is Salvatore Alabizo. He's like 60s, in his 60s. Uh, big, big guy. I'm going to produce this movie. You need to find me a movie star for the movies. <laughs> okay, so I'm, uh, I'm on I, it. So I'm, I'm on it. So, and it was really a low-budget movie, and I wasn't getting paid that much money. But it had, it had some... Because Carlo Rambaldi was attached, I was getting tons of really great submissions. You know, I was getting mm. submissions for... You know, from from people like, you know, like Meg Ryan and and Molly Ringwald and you know all the young talent of the you know um, uh, uh, the young female talent and male talent of the time they were all being yeah submitted, you know, and and but but Salvatore Albizo was very uh, particular and he didn't like anybody. Really, mm. why you bring this poor actor down in the rain to come read for this movie? He's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is while the actors in the room. Oh my gosh! Of course. <laughs> and so, uh, so I keep looking. One day he's walking by my uh, my desk, and this is where um, sort of the, the this is the callback to the picture on the wall. He sees Brad's pic- picture on the wall. Brad Pitt's picture. Bailey, who is this boy? Uh, 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 you don't really. He's not right for this movie. <laughs> Billy, why not you bring this boy in? He looked good for the movie. And the movie's about, just so you know, it's about um, a bunch of college students who are uh, sort of, the, they're like PETA, you know, the, the animal activist group, who, right. are trying, who are trying to stop the animal experiments that are happening on that university, in that university lab. They're doing okay. experiments on these, on these primates. What happens is, is one of the primates who's being experimented on with with sort of nuclear uh, radioactive material bites the one of the students that's one of the activists, and the student turns into like monkey boy, monkey boy, 
and, and Monkey Boy goes on a rampage and kills everybody on campus. Of course, right? And so, Absolutely. And so th- this is the it's a horror movie, and so um, not a romantic comedy. And, and so, uh, so he although says, I might pay to see that, yeah. Billy, you bring this boy in. He comes to read for us. Okay, all right. So I bring Brad in, and now Brad's like over the moon. He's like so excited he gets to come in and read for the lead the movie. Yeah, of course. And he comes in and uh, and he reads and he's okay. But now that you have to remember, there are you know everybody's there because these are the producer sections se- uh, sessions, and we have the and there's a couple of of, of women that are in there that are part of the production crew, and uh, and you know they they go gaga over you know wow he's so beautiful this time he's so beautiful <laughs> i said yeah but he's not really that good of an actor it's but but everybody wants to fuck him so it's yeah uh, this is my language and uh so so salvatore he leaves the room and 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 salvatore says bailey this is the boy we're going to hire i said salvatore he, he's not an actor he's not that good he's he's actually you know he he, he didn't really hit all the the I, I, yeah, I don't think he can. I mean, he had to have been so green at that point, right? He was green. Yeah, but yeah, but he, there was something there. I just the problem is I didn't see it the way yeah. the Salvatore saw. Billy, you hired this boy. We are going to hire this boy. He's going to be movie star. Mm. And I said, Salvatore, <laughs> with all due respect, this guy is never going to be a movie star. Dun and dun dun. Yeah. So Fast we hired forward. him. We hired him, and uh, and he now he's he's like so excited he gets to go to florida i get to taft hartley him and he gets to be in the union he's going to florida for six weeks to move on to work on a movie for fifteen hundred dollars a week it's more money than he's ever made he's so excited i mean calling me every day so i get a uh i'm i'm probably going to screw up the 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 order but there there's a guy named david westberg david westberg now he's he's retired but he was a an agent at uh, triad Mm-hmm. Triad was a big agency in the eighties, and uh, he called me and he said, "And hey, we're looking for a new talent for our." Um, this is when you know, like all the the Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles and you know Pretty in Pink and all those movies are coming out, and everybody's looking for great teen young twenties yeah. actors. So he says, "If you know anybody, we're developing. We're starting a young talent division, and we love to see any new actors you have in mind." I said, "Well, you know, I have this kid. He's a little bit green, but he's awesome." You know, he's a good looking kid and, uh, and, you know, he lights up a room whenever he walks into it and, uh, his name is Brad Pitt where you meet him. So, uh, now you have to remember Brad Pitt, when he, when I first met him, he had a, a videotape, right. That he gave mm. me to, and it was, oh. and it was a videotape of, if I remember right, a play he had done in, in somewhere in, in Missouri. In Missouri. So, so just what it, so he had a VHS tape, a VHS of tape. a play. Of, of a play. play that he had done now, because so now I'm from Missouri, and right. he actually went to the University of Missouri, Columbia, right? And rumor had it that the dorm he stayed in was the dorm that I lived in my freshman year. Oh, wow! So, so my line was always, "Hey, do you want to come see Brad Pitt's dorm?" <laughs> oh, that's good. That's a good one for the chicks. I like that. That's so, good. yeah. So that that was that was one of my lines when I was, you know, eighteen, whatever, however old old you are when you're a freshman in college. Yeah. That would be my <laughs> line. That's hilarious. Well, I believe that that this video was uh, was taken from that uh, university 
Uh, yeah. If not, it could have been even a high school play. I don't know, but it was like, wow. it was the kind I mean, of thing where if, the, the mom took the video from like, like, you know, way back and there, you see yeah. the little, you see and the you little itty bitty, you can barely hear it. You barely see it. Right. It, it's bad, <laughs> and, and, bad registration. The whole, what I love about resolution. This, what I love about this is that, and you know, almost every one of these stories of what like Cameron Diaz, you know, she shows up and she's not wearing the swimsuit that, you know, she was probably like everybody was instructed to wear. Brad Pitt gives you a VHS tape of, you know, a, a high school or college amateur theater performance. That's, that's shot, all he had, you know, you know, and that's all he had. But it's just funny to me that if these people were to listen to the average, you know, uh, person out there doling out advice about like what not to do for your career right they they'd never be discovered there are no rules there are no there rules, are no and, the, rules. And, the, and the fact is, is, is sometimes when you follow the rules is when you sort of you know you you allow your you 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 damp you dampen the 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 the, the real the, the real you the uniqueness you, know? you yeah that you dampen yeah. you yeah, yeah. and yeah. i just it it always it, not that we'd want to go down too far this road but just you know it, it associated kind of uh, more than tangentially to this actor workshop thing, this whole cottage industry that exists to kind of, yeah. you know, uh, of trying to, you know, teach the secret of success to actors, you know, how yeah. to book now, you know, yeah. and there's such a huge industry of that in LA. And, you know, yeah. you've been an active voice against a lot of that. And I would say 99.9% of the advice is just horseshit. <laughs> it is horseshit. Well, what it is, is it's manufactured to, uh, to an end and they, that end yeah. is to make is to make money based on actors uh, yeah. uh fears and insecurity yeah you anyway know, let me let me go back to the story let me go back I, to your story. I, yeah, I want to i want to just i want to finish this up so so Absolutely. Gives, so so i so i introduce him to to uh uh, uh to david westberg i uh, so i said david uh, here's his number and he'll he'll and i called uh brad and i said he wants to meet you and uh and uh and then you know, David calls me and says, oh, by the way, does he have any videotape? <laughs> I said, I, I said uh, no. Uh, no. Yeah. So, uh, so Brad went uh, and he met with them and, uh, uh, and just, I guess he wowed them. David called me back and he said, I have some good news and some bad news. Hmm. I said, well, what, what's that? He said, well, the good news is, is that we're going to sign him. And Wow, it's excited. One of the you know biggest agents. I think try, they they eventually merged with William Morris and became a yeah. Big, uh, but they were big at the time, big boutique agency. And uh, the, I said, "What's the bad news?" He says, "The bad news is we're pulling him from your movie mm. because we got to keep him. He can't. We're not sending somebody to Florida for seven weeks or six weeks when in the middle of pilot season. The movie was starting in February, and." Um, so uh, I said, well, I think that's good. I think it's okay. I'll figure it out. Brad calls me and, you know, he freaks out. He says, no, we're, we're, I'm not, I'm not going. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sign with the agency. I want to go to Florida mm. and I want to work on the movie and I want to be in the screen actor and I want to be. I said, Brad, just slow down, sign with the agency. And um, he did and the rest is history. Wow. Uh, but it's the kind of thing where, where, you know, I knew uh, at the time that it was better. It was a better, uh, career move for him than being in monkey boy in my movie. You know? <laughs> and isn't it, <laughs> and it just, it, it, and you know, the, the little, the, 
the paths that these stories take. It just kind yeah. of goes to show how how much of someone's success is also a lot of luck. Yeah, and it's, so many things are out of your control. It's arbitrary. It, you know, it's it, totally arbitrary. Right, and you'd never mm-hmm. know uh, in the moment. Well, which choice would have been the right one? Do I do I stick in this movie? Do I sign with this agency? There's no way to know in the moment. I mean, you can right. make your best educated guess, but there's so many little moments like that. Something's just completely out of your control. Yeah. It's just so completely out of your control, and you it's just like Michael to... J. Fox with Back to the Future, right? Like you yeah. know, had things gone slightly differently on that, then. He never would have been in that role. Yeah, yep. had he not been able to leave family ties. So what was your, Hilly, uh, Billy, you hinted at a story about, uh, I think it was, did you say Helen Hunt? Who did you oh, say? Oh, yeah. Helen yeah. Hunt. Helen Hunt. Who's just uh, fantastic. I, yeah, she's wonderful. Helen Hunt, uh, uh, we cast, I, uh, uh, Jackie was cast. One of the first movies that I worked on as an assistant. Mm. And um, and uh, Helen Helen was uh, was not a movie star. We'd seen lots of women. We went to New York. Uh, we saw uh, we saw Julianne Phillips, who got us tickets to see Bruce Springsteen in New Jersey, which was, which was pretty awesome. But she didn't get cast in the movie. Uh, we saw lots of actresses. Uh, now, and and which film was this for? This was Project film? X. Project X. It was Project the, X. The yeah. movie with the chimps. Uh, and the, it holds a special place in my heart. Mm. Yeah, actually, it's, it's a great it's a great film. Uh, Jonathan Kaplan directed. Mm. Um, yeah. and, um, and the first movie that I, uh, one of the first movies that I worked on from beginning to end, I worked on commando and then we went into project X. We're all at stage 59 in at 20th century Fox. And, um, Wonderful. and so, uh, Helen was, uh, pitched a couple times for the movie. Now, Helen had just finished doing a, I think she was actually nominated for an Emmy for, uh, for this uh, movie of the week, where she was a she was played a, a high school f- girl who was playing football, mm. uh, and she got injured, and uh, I think she was nominated for an Emmy for that, uh, but not. And she was on Swiss Family Robinson when she was a little girl, and she had done a lot yeah. of TV, a lot of commercials and stuff. But that. she, but yeah. she was not, um, she was not a movie star. And so she, uh, her manager at the time was a woman named Connie Tavel. Actually, I think it might have been her agent that, who went on to manage later. Uh, would, would kept pitching her, and I and I was a big fan, a uh, huge fan. I, in fact, I had her photo up on the wall behind me in my casting assistant office. I really was a big fan of hers. Yeah, and um, but but Jackie didn't want to see her. Jackie said, "No, she doesn't mean anything," and she's. Uh, She's Ooh. not. Um, she's not. Uh, she's not uh, a movie star. So, uh, so uh, I just kind of let it slide. Um, one day, uh, it was Walter Parks, who was one of the producers of the movie, who went on to he did they did War Games and they did went on to do yeah. lots of other stuff. Um, uh, Walter Parks and Larry Lasker were the producers. Sneakers, and, which is a sneakers, right little bit of an underrated yeah right with Robert Redford. Uh, so it would, it, actually, I think it was Larry Lasker who walked by and he saw her picture on the wall. And this is after we'd already seen lots of, now I'm an assistant. I'm not in part in charge of, 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 of anything besides like getting coffee. Yeah. But the picture's on the wall and, um, and he says, who's that? And I said, that's Helen Hunt. Uh, 
Uh, and in fact, what happened is, uh, is that Connie uh, would call me like once a week, saying, anything we can do to get her in. Because yeah, a lot of times they work through the assistants to get, to get the picture on the, sure. the casting director's desk. And of course, so, I've been there. <laughs> so he said, how come, how come we haven't seen her? And, you know, I didn't say it's because Jackie doesn't right. see her. He, I just said, well, just we haven't gotten around her. I don't know. I don't, I have no idea. He said, let's get her in. And uh, to best of my recollections, almost 40 years now, that Jackie was not happy because somebody had usurped her authority. Mm. And uh, um, she, uh, but reluctantly, we, we brought her in. And, and Jonathan uh, was out of town. So we put her on tape. And in fact, I have the, the still have the three quarter vi inch videotape. Oh, from, wow. From, from that. Uh, oh, what a, what a little that gem that is. Oh, I have, I have so much tape. I could make a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I could, I could get a lot of people in trouble with some of the video no. tape I have. I uh, mean, I consider these treasures. I don't, you know, it's like. Well, they are treasures, they're, but, but they're my treasures. Nothing I could ever publish or whatever. Yeah, publish. yeah, yeah, of course. So, uh, um, so, so she came in and she, uh, she put herself on tape, uh, doing the scene where there's a scene where she meets Matthew Broderick in a bar, this, the lead. Oh, uh, I'm trying girl. to remember this. It's been and, so long. And she, and she basically tries to convince him because what's happened is they've taken her Virgil, her, her, her student, basically the primate student who she's taught, taught sign Teaching language. Teaching language, sign language, yeah. Sign language, right. Yeah. This is based on a real story. Uh, the Air Force has basically taken the the primate for experiments, right? And uh, and it's it's the scene where she pleads with uh, Matthew Broderick to please help her get her student back, to get her her friend back, to get Virgil back. Uh, and uh, when Jonathan Kaplan came back into town, we all sat and we watched the video, and. Um, and, and I was there in the room when they were taping it. Uh, everybody cried. I mean, it was Ooh. just so amazing. And I think everybody looked at each other. All the producers looked at each other and said, she's the one. She's it. And yeah. had, and that's just amazing. If, if, if Lawrence, I think you said it was, Lawrence, Lawrence Lasker, Lasker yeah. hadn't walked by, seen the picture on the wall. Right. You know, and it's just and it's it's just amazing. I think for people out there, either if you're an aspiring filmmaker or you're an aspiring actor, it's good to kind of keep these things in mind that mm -hmm. you just you know, you you have to be in this for the journey and you can't hold on to anything too tightly because there are just so many like right. the entire career are just these little moments like that, you know. Right. Now, obviously, she stepped up and delivered in that audition. When she yeah. was on tape, I mean, so obviously, had she not, you know, stepped up to the plate and hit that, well, it was a big, and... it was a big, it was a big move for her. I mean, it was a big yeah. opportunity for her, I believe. Um, you know, uh, and um, and it, as much as 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 I would, you know, I would love to be able to take credit for it. It's it's just if not, I'm I, you know, I'm it just the way things happen sometimes yeah. is that she, she happened to be on the wall. She happened to, you know, uh, Jackie happened to relent and say, let's bring, I mean, Jackie would have said, no, we're not bringing her in. And, you know, it could have changed the course of her life and her history as sure. an actress. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. If you think about it, she went on to do some amazing stuff. So, mm -hmm. oh um, yeah, just my to connection just to this bit. is that I uh, I briefly dated a girl <laughs> who looked like Helen Hunt. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. There's your connection. I you know a movie that so we have haven't I. talked about. <laughs> a movie we haven't talked about that I that I want to talk about before we run out of time here. Yeah, is is Society. Oh man! <laughs> because wow. Okay, now if you oh. haven't seen it, for anybody out there, if you've not seen this film, I, I highly recommend going to see it. It is one of the strangest, most it interesting films creepy. I have ever seen. It is contains the last I don't know however long 10 15 minutes or so is maybe some of the most disturbing footage I've ever ever mm -hmm. seen in a in a in a film frankly but it is absolutely worth a view it is I mean I don't even know if you could make a movie like this today to be honest I don't know if you could because it's based on like a sexual cult yeah uh, and uh, that 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 they sort of you know they, they, oh sorry it's hard to even describe it's 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 like a it's you've got this like teenage boy or what you know discovers that there's like his family is this like part of this like orgy cult they like and, and I don't want to give away it too much because I feel like you should go see it but the, suffice to say it's freaky I don't know a better way it's just crazy freaky but it's awesome yeah, yeah. and I feel like it's part of this uh the, the horror films in the 80s there was just i don't know how they did it but they were able well, to get away with so much back then well that, that was uh if you were familiar with um with uh, brian usna and uh brian usna was uh, the uh he directed that particular one but he was a producer on most movies he worked with charlie band a lot on on uh, the, the reanimator series i did i cast a movie yep. called the bride of reanimator Yep. Um, uh, the, uh, I mean, the thing that made those movies was, uh, was the special effects. And, um, uh, there was, uh, a, a guy named Screaming Mad George and Screaming Mad George, who, who I actually worked with on, uh, there's a guy named, <laughs> some gets into some weird stuff, but I did, a, uh, I cast a music video for the Ramones. Oh, uh, and in fact, that might be the epic. I, that might be the, the Polaroid I put up tomorrow. But I did one called it's called um, Substitute. And it was directed by Tom Renoni. And Tom okay. Renoni was a special effects guy who worked with Screaming Mad George. And they created all the creatures for uh, for society, for Bride of Reanimator, for Reanimator. Mm. For, Such um, amazing practical effects, by the way, which I'm a right. big fan of. Practical which... effects, they built these creepy little, yeah. oh man. Oh. And, and that's what society is. Is I think society, yeah. I'm looking to see who did the, um, uh, but the Screaming Mad George, the surrealistic makeup, and uh, he was the surrealistic makeup designer and creator. So he's basically the one who, who, who did, you know. Who did uh, all those. Now, right. And he worked now, for he worked for Stan Winston. He was I think he worked on Predator too. So amazing <clears> stuff. Did you now I'm curious, did you have any uh anything to do with any of the casting of any of those oh, that huge group at the end? That, that's that, all like, I did. That's all you did. So I've okay. So I, How I cast in the world all the do you cast oh, man. something not that's easy. going to end well, up looking like what that ended up? I well, mean, you had to you first of all. You know, you had to put in the breakdown nudity required because even right. though even though you kind of it's not it's not it's it's prosthetics over it's prosthetics like, over nudity right I yeah mean, you, and everybody's it, in these 
these like perverted, twisted, demented, melted, right? They're like, all prosthetic suits that are like connected to each other, and bodies That's... are like melding together and and distorting. Yeah, and you've got like heads coming out of people's butt. <laughs> yeah, insane. it was it was it was creepy. It was even more disturbing, I think. Than remember the one the movie that came out a couple years ago where the where, what's it called where they're Human centipede. Sense centipede. Mm, yeah, this yeah. Was sort of, yeah, I knew you. This was sort of this. was sort of centipede like. Just for people, I just I have to point this out because you know people who are listening they can't see this. This is how I could tell what Billy was talking about. He just took his hand and made like a train, like a <laughs> like a choo choo, like going to ground. I was like human centipede, but it was the only film I could think of that would that could be right. as disturbing as this is disturbing. Yeah, and but, it was pretty disturbing. But the thing is, is you know you didn't you didn't really understand how disturbing it was until you finally saw the movie because yeah. you know it was all just a pre-production that when you're casting right. you haven't created any of the stuff you haven't really all you'd have got it on paper you've got it writing and it, but it basically it's a, a picture of just a mound of you know flesh all fucking each other excuse my <laughs> language yeah you, you can point that it's out. what it is yeah but uh, but it's uh, and and it's all but it's it's all suggested in the most disturbing way and yeah. uh, and so basically, we're just putting out. We most of those were extras, uh, where we had to cast. Uh, I mean, the reason that I came here's the reason I came in is because uh, I was working with Brian Dunn. Um, oh, pro probably like a, uh, three or four movies for Brian already. I worked on Riot of Reanimator. I worked on Reanimator. I worked on Silent Night, Silent, Silent Night Deadly Night. Ooh, yeah, um, mm. I, uh, another Mickey, good one with Mickey there Rooney. Go, There's yeah. a good one. Mickey yeah. Rooney, who would run around the store and run, run, oh run around the gosh. stage and, and make jokes. And... <laughs> Judy, Judy Garland, I fucked her. Oh right. my gosh! I, I, I was crazy. It's crazy. You know, he would. It's crazy. He, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, he would I talk can only about all. Imagine he'd talk, about, talk about all the movie stars that he slept with. Oh, I slept with her. And it's like Mickey Rooney. You're looking at him, and it's just like. He was I like 78 like... years old or something. I at the time. know, but he, and, was, and, but he was so just... funny and so so there. <laughs> That's got to be fantastic. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, so, so you uh, were saying, and, though, so you were brought you'd worked on a couple of Brian's yeah. earlier films. And and they and they had um, I'm trying to remember who the casting director. Let me see if I can find it uh, with Donna Anderson. I don't know who that is. Uh, yeah. uh, it was a movie. I wasn't available because I was in Europe, so I couldn't work on it with him. But when I got back, he said he called me and he said, uh, I need to cast this scene. Well, is the movie already cast? No, well, no. I need to cast this scene where, mm. and then he sent me the thing, and I said, "Oh God, <laughs> serious." Okay, okay, uh, all right, <laughs> okay. And so I put out a breakdown, and I got. Uh, I'm, I, I, I mean, I don't even know who the people are in the in the you and, know. And, and, and I can only imagine what that breakdown must have read like. I mean, but if of you all look, the or if you look at the end of the 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 credits where it says. Uh, Celie Abraham, Chris Ann, Lauren Tufakoska, Mike Coletta, all listed as extras. Those all are the those... people you cast, yeah. Right. Also, the funny thing is, is Tom Renoni is <laughs> Tom Renoni. It does. It gets. He's one of the special effects guy. Yeah. That I worked with on the uh, who directed the Ramones video, and he's uh, he's also plays one of the extras in the oh my gosh. in that pile of human flesh. Oh. I mean, and I've, I've, I did some background work for like two or three months when I first landed in LA just to kind of get on a professional set and get a sense of what that mm -hmm. feels like. 
I can and and I thought I went through some pretty ridiculous and painful shoots, you know, because you're for anybody who's not done it, you're basically standing around or sitting around all day, and yeah, you're you're a breathing eating prop is what you are, and yeah, and uh, as soon as the newness wears off, that you're on a set and you're kind of watching actual actors do their thing, and uh, after that wears off, it's profoundly boring. But I, I can only furniture imagine. with an appetite. We used to call it. Yeah, <laughs> furniture with an appetite. I mean, and I could. I mean, I just can't even imagine uh, being in all those prosthetics and well, having to do that. Yeah, the 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 auditions. I remember the auditions. They were not um, easy. That's what because, I'm curious about. What did you because, have people well, do? You had them come in and get naked. I mean, that's, <laughs> I'm serious. You had you had to say, I need to see. Did your you body. have them writhe? Did they have to like ride? No, like no, they... no, no, no. We that was all done on the set. I wasn't there when they when they actually shot it. But sure, sure. Thank, thank God. Um, I know. I mean, and, oh. and don't get me wrong. I you know I like a naked body as much as anybody else does. But in that in that context, in that context, a little disturbing. Woo! And yeah, I didn't want to. Yes. I didn't want to have the nightmares that, that I already was having just from reading the script. So, um, so so I would have them come in and they would get naked and they would um, and they would just you know turn for the camera and all, just to make sure because it. because we were just using bodies that yeah. we would direct with their prosthetics on on the set and they had to be comfortable with being naked because they were going to look like they were naked in the movie. Gotcha. Um, yeah. You know the, I don't know if you ever saw Bride of An- Reanimator, but Kathleen I've Kinmont. I've not seen Bride. Kathleen, Kin- you know Kathleen Kinmont, who is the. Um, did you see uh, the the photograph I put up with um, was Kathleen Kinmont and um, oh maybe and, and the guy from uh, for uh, uh, I'm blanking right now hold on one second I'm gonna go there uh, yeah I'm not sure if I saw that Craig, one or not. Craig Craig Stark uh, and Kathleen Kinmont Craig Stark is an actor who's gone on to work with the, Quentin Tarantino and tons of people but they came yeah. in but Kathleen Kathleen Kinmont uh, was like a screen queen and did a lot of horror movies in the 80s and she played the bride of reanimator and we made we made a naked suit for her Mm. i'm gonna see if i can find the photograph i'm gonna send it to you but it was made by the same guys uh uh you know screaming mad george and tom renoni that basically the suit zipped up and it looked like she was naked but it just had it was but it was all cut up and stitched together because it made it look you know because she was a bride of frankenstein right right Uh, what a trip what a trip! Those movies were just yeah, just amazing times, man. Yeah, you've you've got some great stories. You know, you mentioned Chopper Chicks uh, yeah. in your bio. Um, yeah, that that now I've not seen the entire film, but I have seen pieces of it. Oh, you should watch it. It's funny. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's, it's like a comedy, you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What was any fun stories on that? Uh, it, it, I know that was maybe was that Billy Bob's like one of his first or his as first? one of his first movies. Yeah, he, yeah. He, Billy Bob and I were, uh, were hanging out in, in in Los Angeles at the time. He was a an actor who I befriended and and we because we were you know both rock and rollers. We used to hang out and we used to have oh. uh, lunch every week at the Salt Shaker in Glendale because um, he lived right right next door to the right down the street from the the, the salt shaker in the in uh in a house in my neighborhood so we used to uh go have lunch together every and, we, and then we wrote a, um he he wrote a uh uh it was kind of a showcase of scenes mm-hmm. uh, that we did at the tiffany theater that i produced and directed uh and i think probably right around that same time just before chopper chicks or maybe just after chopper so probably like late 80s early 90s 
yeah. uh, a thing called Swine Before Pearls, where he did wrote a lot of his original material. In fact, it was just before uh, Sling Blade, and he wrote right. he had a he had a thing called um, some people call it a Sling Blade. Uh, yeah, a one, a short... a one, yeah, but this was a scene from that a one scene. Okay, he would do he would do um, basically him, uh, and actually he was playing. I don't know if you know this, but he originally wrote it as a black man. Uh, who was oh, wow. uh, on death row and um and so uh he played the scene uh as a black guy who was about to be you know executed and uh, wow i did not know that i'd never yeah, heard that and um yeah, and then and you know of course then he developed it and he did the short film and he he did the movie yeah. uh, which i didn't get a chance to work on uh, because i was in europe working with franco colombo on bad low budget b movies italian b movies but but I was in, I was in Sardinia and Rome and Venice, and so it was worth it. Not too bad, not too bad. Decent so anyway, yeah. So Billy Bob and I were, were buddies when, and I brought him in to read for the thing. And I remember his friend, um, who's still my Facebook friend, um, uh, uh, brought him to the audition, and um, and Billy was all in character playing the you know the the redneck mechanic from the hills. We shot that movie in. Ridgecrest and Randsburg, which is about it's about seventy five miles northeast of Los Angeles, and it's in the desert. Yeah. it's up, it's yeah, up by uh, Edwards Air Force Base, and and um, it's right adjacent to the Air Force Base. And and we and I went up there and did casting. I stayed uh, stayed there for a few days and did casting out of a hotel up there. And um, I met all the people from the from the the area for extra stuff. And I'm telling you. It, it's like, I, I don't know if there's a dental office anywhere nearby, but if there is, they haven't used it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, so, I mean, there were, you know, so I, it, it was, I, it, I can imagine. I, I, it, it was, I, it was definitely a, 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 an interesting casting process. <laughs> so I was casting a lot of the people to play locals and to play zombies and to play, uh, you know, uh, you know, just background in the movie. And, um, there was this one woman who said to me, uh, uh, y'all got a red car? N no. Why? Uh, <laughs> he says, well, cause, well, cause, cause they, cause Tuesdays is, uh, is, is target day. What? Uh, what? Well, yeah. Well, what, what we do is we, is my brother about a year ago, he's driving his red pickup truck down on, on the highway. And the highway that goes through Red Air, uh, Edwards, and uh, they were doing a test, uh, you know, uh, for, from the airplane there uh, to, to, to shoot down the, the the red targets. And he was driving a red pickup truck, and they shot his truck, and he got killed. Uh, uh so uh, don't drive your don't drive your uh, red car through there today because it's 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 red target day. And uh, and she said, and also wacky. Careful when you're out there because there's you know some weird creatures. You know we we got cows with six legs and, and two heads. And oh my hills have eyes. <laughs> All right, okay, I'll, I'll stay out of there. So it was it was that kind of area. You know, it was like a yeah. mining, it was a mining town. Yeah, it was a perfect perfect place to shoot that thing. It's actually a documentary, is what you're telling us. That Chopper yeah. Chicks and Zombie Town is actually a documentary I'm shot on you, location. Almost. almost. <laughs> Oh, that was a, that was a fun and there's a lot of people like Jamie Rose and and Catherine Carlin and uh, Alicia Naff and 
Christina Loggia, who was uh, Robert Loggia's daughter, uh, was in the film. Uh, Martha Quinn. Martha Quinn. Martha right? Quinn. Yeah. Playing May Clutter, and I played her. Actually, I did a little little part as as her brother Charlie Clutter. Got my neck That's... eaten out by uh, by zombies. Oh, I'll have to catch that out. Yeah. And and David Nell, actually, who I mm-hmm. I kind of peripherally know. Uh, yeah, David. We we had. Uh, a, a, a sim, like we had the we shared the same like mentor for a little while. I mean, he had already had a career. He was like a young teen actor and did yeah. some like teen comedy stuff. But uh, and who was who was your he, mentor? So one of the mentors, one of my first mentors I had when I came to LA, his name was Bob Fraser. He was a writer, actor on, and I think eventually worked his way up to producer and kind of maybe co showrunner on um, Benson. Old, mm-hmm. old TV shows, 70 TV shows. Benson, yeah. uh, he was a producer on Full House after that. He had a show, Marblehead Manor. Um, oh, yeah. yeah and, I knew, uh, I know the, na- the name rings a bell because, I don't know if you, do, do you know who Deanna Artelli is? She was, I don't. She, she was, she played uh, the maid in Marblehead Manor. Oh, okay. Okay. And, um, which you can't find anymore. I've tried to you yeah. know, watch some of these old shows and of course they're just, they're not on streaming and you can't yeah. find them. But yeah, Bob was, Bob was a really great guy. Um, he was a mentor of mine nice. and I, uh, I'd met David through him. They, they knew each other. Yeah. And, there was certain, uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the casting of that one was fun too, because I got a, I got a chance to cast people like, um, like Earl Bone uh who was yeah you know, yep. he, he was in the in the ter- uh terminator right? i always think of him as the terminator doctor yeah the you know, right um, time travel's uh, not real you're crazy right louis <laughs> arquette louis arquette the father of the arquettes yeah. who was uh who uh who was uh, and he was also the son of of um of uh oh he's on he was on uh the hollywood squares all the time uh charlie uh Charlie Arquette, Charlie Arquette, I think. Um, uh, he had a, he had a stage name. I forget what it is, but uh, yeah, but, but, but Louis Arquette, yeah, it was it, you know he's he was uh, the father of Rosanna and Patricia and all yeah. the Arquettes. Um, and oh, it's just a lot of cool old character actors that I got a chance. So to how did to. Don how did, that, how did that movie come to be? Do you like what you know? Because it's it, I'm always curious about this. So I another thing I've got a soft spot for. I love these kind of, and I mean, and I mean this as a compliment, these mm. like genre films, these like B yeah. kind of grindhouse genre films. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I love, love these. It. I love these things. Um, do you, I'm kind of curious, do you, are they, how to say this, how to say this? I'm like working on this versus like a studio picture. Do you find mm-hmm. that these are kind of more fun that you have a little more? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I'm attracted to, movies yeah. like this because of the because of the low budget nature because here's the thing is that you if i work on a studio movie i you know no matter what decisions i make eventually there's somebody higher up that that has no idea about talent who's yeah. making decisions you know there's some bean counter who's saying well that guy doesn't mean anything in china or or, or australia <laughs> yeah or he, he doesn't you know I, he doesn't mean anything in the streaming market or the dvd you know it's like you gotta you have to to play that game right as opposed to playing with like a young group of filmmakers that are that have a fun idea dan hoskins who directed and, and wrote the movie uh was uh was awesome and he and he had an idea and he had a, a, a couple of friends who came up with some money and they raised enough money to make the movie they thought they were going to get a better release and the movie sat around for a while and that's when trauma picked it up uh they oh, didn't yeah. they 
they didn't want it to be a trauma movie, but uh, they it wasn't a trauma production. It was a trauma. They bought pickup. it after the fact. It was a negative pickup, yeah, yeah. And um, and so working with those guys was great because it was it's sort of like with all younger filmmakers and all people that are not attached to a studio or to a to a, a big network that you, your creative uh, acumen is recognized a little bit more. I mean, you're allowed mm. to. You're allowed to do and have ideas that would never fly on a studio level. Yeah. And, and also you're just, you're more connected, you know, when, when, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> when a, a film student calls me from USC or from UCLA or from CalArts who are just graduated and they're making their first movie, uh, I'm a God, you know, I've been, you know, it's for, to them, you know, yeah. and, you know and I'm not bragging, but I, you know, I've been, if I've made, you know, 50 movies, uh, before that, uh, the, the, or, you know, I've done over a hundred now, but at, at any point in time, if I meet one of these actors or the, these directors, young directors, they're, you know, they they give me a lot of respect and I love that. Yeah. And, I, and they recognize the process. They're a lot closer to the art. You know, it's sort of, you kind of grow away from the art as you get more involved in the studio system. Sure. You get more involved in the business. And so, yeah. And it, it's, it, you know, it's interesting that you say that because one of the challenges that I have found in, in working on low budget projects, kind of, you know, the, in a certain sense, the technology of filmmaking has been democratized. In other words, cameras, we shoot digitally, we don't shoot film, you can have <coughs> professional quality audio recording that's, you know, orders of magnitude cheaper and easier than it ever was before. Right. So on the kind of production side, You've got this real like DIY, you know, feeling now, which is which is great in a lot of ways. Of course, it produces a lot of crap, but there's always a lot of crap that's always been. And also, the there's a lot of innovation that comes. There's from a lot of innovation too, but one of the things that I've kind of seen a little bit is that this DIY kind of sense goes all the way through to casting, where you've got producers and directors kind of sitting around and saying, you know what, we don't need a casting director. Yeah, we can save that money. We don't need a casting director, and and I always fight against that because i think people some people some people really underestimate how valuable it is to have an experienced casting director um for the exact reason that they're not hiring it which is that if you have a good most casting people director, you can make the money you can make the money everybody so thinks they're a casting director everybody, everybody thinks everybody thinks they have the expertise i've seen they it over and over they don't understand that <clears throat> i mean uh, you know what D, my partner in Los Angeles, and I tell every director who decides that they want to cast on their own or they want to do self-tapes and they can cut out the middleman, the casting director, our, our comment to them is the first time you cast a movie by yourself is the last time you'll cast a movie by yourself. <laughs> because it, 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 they don't realize that, that for those four people that I have brought in for callbacks that I've seen through pictures and through auditions, 10,000 people. I've gone yeah. through 10,000 resumes to pull out the best 200 people to spend two weeks of horror trying to find out the, find the best, you know, four, three or four or five actors to bring from them. You know, so that 1% or, or half a percent that I bring back to them, they don't realize everything that's gone on before that. So the process and the expertise and the, the actual creative, uh, uh, you know, uh, acumen that we've developed over decades all comes into play when we bring in those last few actors for them to see. So 
Yeah, you know, they they've got other. We tell casting. We tell directors, you've got other things to do. You've got to scout locations. You've got to find a costume designer. You have to get the music together. You don't need to be, you know, looking through a bunch of videotapes, not understanding what you're seeing to pick out people that are not that good. Right. And you've so, got and you've got the the relationships. You've you've right. known so many of these people for so long that you've got, for lack of a better term, this Rolodex of right. actors that you've seen many times before for other projects, people that you have a relationship with. And that's so invaluable. You know, well, that's and, the thing. Uh, it's true. And also, D and I both uh, have made it a, a part of our uh the way the way we do business is to to see as many new actors as we can to see as many to uncover right. to lift every rock and look behind every door to see and we, we never say that we discover actors we say we uncover them because they're there <laughs> and they're they're they exist but nobody's looking so yeah if we look how yeah that's why i can't even fathom why a casting director wouldn't want to go see theater every night or watch every tv show or go to every movie or or go to see you know uh, uh showcases actors are putting on to see who's out there to see who's new to see who's young to see who's novel and exciting yeah. um that one you know i our our best our biggest rush is when we walk into a casting session and the director's there and he says where'd you find these guys mm. where did he come from where, where where'd you find her you know, yeah. we, you know uh, because they'd never seen him and they're excited and a lot of the movies, there are movies we did, um, uh, it's called Road to the Well, uh, with, uh, uh, oh, it's a, it's, it's a relatively unknown cast, but there's a guy named Lawrence Fuller, Australian actor, who we uncovered, who's now, whose career has taken off. He's just, he's writing and producing and directing and starring in movies. I mean, that's that's got to be fun. What, you know, are there other some examples of, you know, actors that you met at a crossroads of the, at the very beginning of their career and you were able to recognize their talent and and kind of help them along in their journey. Um, I mean, because I would imagine that's got to be one of the, the most thrilling parts of your job. Any yeah, other? I, there are, I mean, you know, I, there's so many that I can't. There's so think, many, yes. Yeah, and we've man, talked I about mean, some, yeah. Yeah, uh, but, the, you know, I mean, there's... Uh, I mean, most most of them don't go on to become movie stars or name actors. Most of them go oh, on to have yeah. a working career, though. So, yeah. I mean, I could tell you about a hundred, but uh, you wouldn't know who they were. You know, you just say, oh, that, that guy on TV or, you know. I might know some. I watch a lot. I mean, obviously, I can't watch everything, but I, yeah. I watch a lot. I might know some. <laughs> yeah. My repertoire, Lord. especially in the 80s, my repertoire is like pretty deep, you know, and yeah. wide there. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so Billy, I got to ask, I mean, now that you're kind of semi-retired, do you think you might, might go back and, and, uh, use your acting, <laughs> your acting experience, your acting well, classes? I will, I will never. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I'll, I'll probably, you know, I don't think we talked about this at all, but you know who Luke Besson is? Of course. Yeah. Uh, uh, we just did two movies for Luke Besson. Uh, oh, really? I, I, I worked as a consultant because uh, my partner did all the heavy lifting. And I just, okay. you know, I, she calls me and says, what do you think about ideas for this role or that role or this role? Okay. Uh, but there are two movies called John and June. And wow. um, oh, I forget the other one. Let me just look it up. Um, if you look up Device, uh, D-E-A-V-I-S-E, that's my partner. And you've worked with her for a, for a really long time, right? About you 20, two have... 20 years or so. Yeah. Uh, Luke Besson, uh, you know, who amazing director who did, you Heck know, yeah. 
the fifth element and yep. Lucy and Nikita and um and one of my favorites the Leon or the professional mm-hmm. oh yeah oh yeah he was yeah, he was great he, and yeah, I think he wrote and produced all of them um I'm just trying to see the dog man is the one that's coming out soon and also Luke uh it's not on the IMDb yet but it'll come out soon you called June and John a romantic comedy that he shot all on iPhone 12 you got to be kidding me. The wow. Entire movie. Well, that's what I was going to mention too, is that like everyone these days, speaking of the democratization of media and, and the production, like everyone carries a full production studio right. in their pockets. You if can, they know how to use it, right. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. So, so now you've just been, you've been acting, not just, but you've been acting as a consultant then on these two yeah, films. Yeah. Yeah. And she's the one who's, she, she's the one. She, uh, yeah. Basically what happened is the production co- company called me uh, that we've done a couple of commercials for <clears throat> and they were producing the movie and they said, you know, we need you to cast the movie. And I said, well, I'm, I'm busy gardening and, uh, <laughs> you know, playing my guitar. I'm not, but I said, let, let call D call my partner in Los Angeles. And so she started working with them and started working with Luke. And now she's, I think she's doing two more movies with her him, wow. uh, through the summer of, 2023 so there's a couple of new that's ones that exciting yeah and she and she's uh she's just she's terrific she's somebody else you should think about interviewing because she's terrific but she'll probably just tell you a lot of the same stories that i told you <laughs> but hey maybe it'll be i'll see if your stories match up yeah really. they won't we'll, they won't. we'll cross check we'll, we'll cross check <laughs> well nobody no yeah because everybody's got a different perspective on yeah. what's happened so that exactly. makes it fun it's yeah. like tele, it's like telephone you know yeah absolutely Absolutely. I love it. This has been so yeah. fun, man. I'm just lo- I'm looking down my list to see if there's anything else we should talk about. Let me just Yeah, yeah. Look here, but I, I but you know, since you got me here, it's only been 2 hours. So Yeah, it's only uh, been 2 hours. This will be the down. I mean, obviously we'll do some editing here, but this will be yeah. But but we won't do a ton. Yeah. Like and to- and you know, we can do if you want. What what you sh- we should think you should think about is the next time we get together uh, we should put a uh, we should put together a little podcast about the workshops, and you can talk. We can talk about that. Ah, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Be That'll be a whole. That's a whole other ball of wax. Well, you know, you and right. I were. Uh, you you mentioned specifically uh, in your bio, and I'd kind of almost forgotten about this because it's been like a decade ago or so. Gary mm-hmm. Baum's article in the Hollywood Reporter, right? That that big expose on. You know, I worked right. with him pretty extensively on that article too. Um, yeah, he, he, he and I talked at length. We had at least a couple, a couple phone calls where I think like maybe the first one we, we talked for about an hour and then we talked again Mm -hmm. for at least about a half hour, but he had a ton of questions that I just, you know, I gave him as much information as I had just my experience because as a, as As an actor, as an actor, yeah, right, having cool. having been in these, uh, having done some of these before, right. I kind of knew what was really going on, right. um, and so he had a ton of questions, and uh, and I even would, um, yeah, I mean, I it, it, and I don't think I'm quoted in it because at the time I was still actively, you know, so I'm not named in it, but right, well, he uh, used a lot of actors that didn't get named. In, he in. used a lot of actors, but I was one of them, and so I no, remember you being a part. Yeah, I remember you being a part of that too, but just. You know, I, I kind of had a whole I had a, a whole other career right before I came. I mean, I came to L.A. and started pursuing acting as an old fart. I was 30 by the mm. time I was really pursuing it. So I'd had this whole entire other career. So, I'd you know, I'd been on like I'd lived in the corporate world, 
moved mm -hmm. from job to job. I'd interviewed a ton of times, you know, to progress my right. career. So when I came to LA and I was like, wait a minute, people are basically paying to <laughs> for a job interview. I, I couldn't comprehend this. I was like, uh, this is illegal, right? Like this is, this right. can't be legal, you know? So for well, me, that, but that's the thing is, is into when you got, uh, when you, when anybody from outside the business yeah. looked at, looked at it, like, like my, you're like D's father when, when we were talking to him about it, he said, wait, you mean the people that are in, that are in charge of hiring you are also charging you to see you? Right. He's an attorney and, and or not attorney, he's a, a, a professor in, uh, in Texas. And yeah. he, he said, that's like somebody coming into my class and offering to to buy their grades or something, you know? Exactly. I mean, I couldn't fathom going in for, you know, like, let's say an, an ad job, right? Like I'm going in for a copywriter and they're like, okay, this interview will be $50. Right. Uh, no, no. <laughs> that's, right. that's not how it works. And, and there's a line out the door of other people that, are, that are, I mean, right, right, right. So you're like, oh, wait a minute. Hmm, am I but really it's a class though. We're teaching, we're teaching you how to apply for this job. Yeah. Well, I, I, there's, yeah, there's a lot that we could talk about there. Yeah, we could. And, uh, yeah, we could. And so, yeah, maybe we could do that. We'll, we'll have a whole other episode on that. And my guess is I, I, I'm out here in orange County, so I'm kind mm -hmm. of removed from that whole thing. And I've been focused right. on writing and producing for a while. Yeah. It, I'm assuming it's still the same now, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure it's gone back. Really I mean, it, you, when the people yeah. got prosecuted and, and, and ch charged, prosecuted and convicted, which 25 people did yeah, because of my efforts with the city attorney's office and the state, yeah, uh, and the Screen Actors Guild and whatever, uh, it, it went away for it went away completely for about a minute. And yeah. then when I left town <laughs> about four years ago, people said, "Oh, you, the the watchdog is not here anymore." And it's a shame. And I I remember too. This is again probably about a decade ago. Uh, you were really helpful. Actually, I ran for SAG after delegate, and you mm. were helpful for me. You had kind of uh, promoted me a little bit on your social media at the time. Mm which I think was probably quite helpful. And I was elected. Right. And uh, of course, as a, as a delegate in two years, you don't really get to affect a lot of change, but it did kind of help me see right. a lot of the inside mechanizations of that. And nobody gives a rip. I mean, well, if, the, if, the, the problem is, is that, is that the, the reason that people don't, especially on the union level is because a lot of the people on the board, a lot of people on the national board, a lot of people um, that are, they're, members also own workshops and so yeah it's it or they're actors that are taking workshops that are actually you know benefiting and, from them or whatever and or that's the big are. that's a big one because i that would i would always be like there would there would be at least i would say 50 percent and maybe more of act yeah. actors e either they didn't get it like they didn't know what the issue was they hadn't really thought about it or right. they were like no 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 this is great i want access to casting directors and i'm like well nobody's you could have access to casting directors, but not pay for it if right. the paying for it were illegal. That that's right. what I'm talking about. Like right. you know, <laughs> you can't make the good stuff start until the bad stuff goes away. You know, correct. You, and people didn't really understand that. They they did. They just kept saying, "Well, it's here. I can I can get in. I can invest in the illegal enterprise and and benefit from it." Well, sure you can. You know, I mean that's uh, yeah. Clark Clark, are you familiar with the 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 whole workshop thing? Cullen, Cullen. Cullen, I'm sorry. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Clark uh, described a bit of it to me um, before yeah. we were Cull talking. Cullen is a, so he's he's up in Toronto. He's a filmmaker based in Toronto. 
And so Cullen's not actually like been like done the acting thing in L.A. So he's not as. But yeah, I've, I'm sure we've talked about it. Cullen and I have known each other for a while. We actually met in an online filmmaking class that uh, mm-hmm. was was based around Werner Herzog and his oh, yeah. kind of. Yeah, and we're both big Werner Herzog fans. And that's actually how we started our podcast way long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then we've mm-hmm. kind of yeah. morphed it. And uh, but yeah, anyway, so that's kind of our history. So he's not as familiar. By the way, in Toronto, there are workshops. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I acted a lot as a kid. Um, Nothing professional. I did a lot of improv and then went to a drama program in my high school and did a lot of theater stuff. But um, I was always more passionate about the behind the camera stuff. So when I started working professionally, I did that. Right. Yeah. So we'll I'll take you up on that offer, Billy. We'll. we'll uh we'll have to do it we'll have to chat again and we can cover some of that other stuff yeah so what is Werner herzog Herzog is still making movies i'm just it's funny i haven't thought about him for a while yeah Yeah, he's still still, he's still uh how old is his most recent one um he did one i know it was at tiff this year actually hey siri Um, how old is Werner herzog he's got to be about 80 Mm -hmm. 80 yeah 80 years old yeah So he's still making them. He's got a couple. It looks like here in development or in you know. Yeah, some yeah, one just came out. Portlandia. Um, I didn't get to see it because it was streaming only for a certain period of time. Yeah, yeah. I think the last yeah, film I saw of his, I don't. I think I saw maybe Fireball was the last film of his I saw. But yeah, we're both we're both big fans, and we kind of started. Um, kind of discussing his films and maybe even more than his films, kind of his philosophy on filmmaking. I've always yeah. been a big fan of how he's kind of empowered himself to make uncompromising films and to not be beholden to studios um, and just kind of the uniqueness of his process was always something that really stood out to me. So yeah. uh, so that's kind of how we found each other. And then now here we are. This is our This will be our 59th episode we're doing with you. Oh, nice. Which which blows my mind. I can't believe that we've now been doing it this long. Um, before, Are COVID, you going to do right? one with uh, Werner Herzog, too, or no? We'd love to. Um, and I'm super, I, I'm so sad. So a couple of our, we have, uh, Colin and I belong to this little, there's others of us in this group where we met in this class. And we're kind of like a support group, right, for... Mm-hmm. You know, uh, met a few times in person as well. Met a few times. We have a little like chat group and we're giving each sharing advice and resources on filmmaking and things. And a couple of our members actually uh, went to his house, were invited to his house and got to hang out with him and everything. It got the chat. in Los Angeles, in I, I L.A. He's not in yeah. Disney in Vienna. No, in L.A. And I was so this is how long ago was that, Colin? Probably four or five years ago. Probably 2017. Yeah. Yeah. So probably about five years ago, they got to hang out with. And I was so goddamn pissed off that they didn't invite me. I was like, Hmm. what the hell is wrong with you people? I'm like, you know, an hour away. And you couldn't just ask me if I if anyway. So but yeah, Yeah. someday. But this is but Billy, you're the first man. You're like breaking new ground with us, buddy. We if you want us to call his agent and try to set something up, we can help do that, too. So that would be that would be awesome. Yeah, we've been talking about doing interviews for ages and it's not it's nothing for you can have him tell the story. You know, what I love is it's a fit the fake story of how he did the the Trader Joe's (laughs) review. Oh. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Yeah, he actually comments on that though, and he and he listens to I the whole that. thing, and it's very funny. Yeah. I mean, I and that's what I I love his, and that's where I feel like his, like he's actually a performance artist, and yeah. his his artwork is him. 
Like yeah. he is a performance piece of art in and yeah. of himself. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I love that about him. Now, now he'll claim up and down forever and ever that he's not like any of that. You know, he claims to right. hate talking about his films and about right. the process, except for the fact that, you know, there's like five books, you know, that were just of interviews, you know, that yeah. he, I mean, he does. Yeah, I can hear, I can hear it in his voice when he's interviewed. <laughs> he, he loves to be, he loves to talk about his stuff. He loves know. it. And I just, it cracks me up though, that he's always this, no, you know, just no, let the that's, film speak. For but itself. that's the re it's, it's, it, it's that thing that comes from, it, it, we were talking from the very, very beginning where we talked about charisma and confidence it's like the thing is he can kind of pretend like he doesn't really care about his so, career, but really behind the oh, scenes, you know, if you if you look close, you can he's see he's a master. He's, he's like a master. He, and he and he loves himself, and that's good, you know. I mean, that's yeah. A good thing. And he's and he's great, yeah. And he's been he's been a big inspiration for me for sure. I mm -hmm. I it's uh okay. and there could be worse inspirations. I feel like you know. I remember yeah. doing a I was doing a short documentary once, and and I was trying to do the narration for it, and it wasn't going well and i was like why isn't this right and i just started doing an impression of herzog and suddenly <laughs> it all good. came to me and i was it was like Are so much speaking better with an Austrian wait, did, accent? did you actually do it i can't remember did you No, i just stripped off the accent and but i did like there, his, yeah, his like, cadence the cadence and his, you know and, and it suddenly all of the it had so much more it weight fell into it. place yeah. it well, fell that's a lot place. of voiceover people do that they they think about they have models that they yeah. that they use you mm -hmm. know that's, that's a genius. good one Oh, that's genius. <laughs> if you ever well, need Billy, anybody for voiceovers, I do that too. Yeah, you do have a good yeah. voice, man. I do. You do have I, a... used, I used to do radio. Yeah. You know, when, when I was super young, um, my dad, for like a very brief period of time, did some ad sales for a radio station uh, in St. Louis, like somewhere in St. Louis. I don't remember where. That's what I did, yeah. And, and as a little kid, uh, I because my dad was selling ad space on the radio, I did a few uh, little local commercials, you know, as just a kid. So yeah. I, I'd actually forgotten about that practically until you just mentioned that. Hey, it's um, me, Billy D of your giant M&J shoe stores, where you can find the best prices on men's and sh women's shoes and boots in Southern California. <laughs> so that's going to be our new bumper right there. We're going to yeah. put that. <laughs> that's going at the front of the show, Billy, right. right there. I'm cutting that out. That goes on the front of the show. <laughs> Except you have the, hey, it's me, 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 me. <laughs> we can What's do all that. Go? Hey, we can fix it in post. Don't worry, yeah, that's man. Good. I like <laughs> well, this has been so much fun. I'm so happy that you invited me to to, to play with you guys today. Oh, thank and, you for uh, yeah. Thank you on. so much for your time, Billy. I I yeah. really appreciate it. It's been a blast. I have enjoyed your uh, your stories and your pearls of casting wisdom. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, it was it was honestly it was quite nice to just sit back and listen for. For an yeah. episode, okay. and just hear you. Oh, well, I talk. I know how to talk. I talk a lot. I know. Well, no, it's, it's if you need great. me to come back and do any looping, and uh, I can do that. Yep, we'll get, we'll to, get if you. If you want me to re, re sure, we'll we'll get you in for some ADR sessions. No yeah, problem. ADR, we'll clean we'll clean some of this up. There was some coughing early on, so we may have to loop a little bit of that. But no, really, thank you so much, Billy. Mm -hmm. We really appreciate it, and everybody My out pleasure. there listening, thank you so much. We'll catch you next time. Okay, thanks everybody. Bye. Bye.